still remembers Pampiro Furpo? Who booked the screw job in Montreal? Who has a good friend named Weasel Dooley? Everyone knows it's corny. Who managed Bobby Eaton and Condry? Who managed Stan Lane and Dr. Tom? Who's sick and tired of Kenny Olivier? Everyone knows it's corny. Who took a shoot, fought off of the scaffolding? Who bled a gusher in a white suit? Who said Ronnie Garvin went up like the challenger? Everyone knows it's corny. It's Jim Cornette's drive through He'll answer questions from you And he won the pony too Thank you, fuck you, bye 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 Hello again, friends! And you are our friends And welcome back to another edition of Jim Cornette's drive Through right here Another week, another fun look around the wild world of wrestling here on this very, very happy broadcast. I'm your host, the great Brian Last. We have reviews, maybe a song or two, maybe some hijinks, and of course, your questions. Answered by this man, the leader of the cult of Cornette, Mr. Jim Cornette. Oh, that was a good one. Come on. No happy talk. Come on, a happy show, happy show, happy show. You're so happy. Are you also dopey, sleepy, grumpy, and doc? Which ones am I leaving out? There's happy or sleepy. Or I, don't know. I wouldn't mind being doc too. I'll be. Sleepy. Wait a minute. Is there a gropey? There's no gropey. No, there's no, 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 there's no gropey. No, there's, there's happy. That was when Bill Cosby was going to redo the, uh, the story of Snow White. And no, Seven no, Dwarfs. no. He was druggy. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, right. That's right. There was happy, there was dopey, there was Rufy. grumpy, there was Doc. Rufy? No, Rufy was That in was the another re- one of Cosby's for the Seven Dwarves when he was going to do it. It was druggy, gropey, and Rufy. <laughs> I still haven't got these goddamn... <laughs> bashful. bashful. You it, forgot it, Bashful. Enumerated here. Ba- Wait a minute, hold on now. That's what I'm saying to you. There's happy, there's grumpy, there's dopey, there's Doc, there's sleepy, there's bashful... Who'd I leave out? Carlos. That, no, Carlos was the pool boy. Um, the happy sleep. There's like some Walt Disney friends Dope. screaming at their radio. Grumpy, right Doc, bashful, sleepy. Hold on. I'm gonna All right, check. get on the goddamn Google. I here. will get on the Google machine. And you while think. you're on the Google, I'll take control of this program, even though it is your show. I just, there was so much happiness. I'm not happy. You know why I'm not happy? I'm not happy because I have just finished another experience that I can only liken to the Bataan death march of having to slog through some, some of the wrestling programs on television these days. And that don't make me happy, nor grumpy, nor it makes me grumpy, but it don't make me, it makes me sleepy. Probably actually it makes me dopey because I'm losing brain cells every time I watch this juvenile bullshit. So if it makes me grumpy and sleepy and dopey, it don't make me bashful. Did you miss Sneezy? Sneezy! And it makes me sneeze because I'm <laughs> allergic to bullshit. <laughs> So wrestling has replaced 
the seven dwarfs, almost all the seven dwarfs, we, we poor sleepy, how, or poor sneezy, rather. How could we forget the poor allergy-ridden fucking reprobate himself? But here's what I was going to ask you. Well, I can't even ask you this now, now that I've realized, because I was going to go back to the 70s before you were a, a, a person, before you existed. 50 years ago, Brian Last, there were easily... 40-something, maybe 50 different professional wrestling programs on television in the United States in some part of the country. And But even in the 80s, when you became a person, well, I don't know if you've ever become a person, when you were born, when you em em emerged into existence, there were still, with the 20-something territories, major and minor, there were still over 30 different programs because a couple places, Mid-South had two different shows. The Memphis Territory had two different programs. One was limitedly seen in Tupelo and Jonesboro and Jackson, things like that. But even though a program came from the same territory, same promotion, they were usually different. Nick Goulas in the 70s had at least five different television programs from five different TV studio locations with five different sets of announcers in his territory alone that aired every week to high local ratings. They were all different. Of course, there was always bad wrestling or slow wrestling or some might be boring or whatever, but they were our programs. Nobody got... 30 minutes to fucking go out there and take a shit. You had to get in and get out. The promos weren't that long. Memphis had long promos because they had more of a freewheeling format, but they also had people that can talk. When you got Lawler stopping the showdown for 10 minutes to go on a rampage and do a, you know, great spontaneous interaction with some babyface, whatever the case, or heel, depending on what he was doing, that was better than the matches. But everything was different, and it flew by. And if it didn't fly by, you could go take a piss and come back, and you'd be watching something else, somebody else, doing something else. And now we have a handful of wrestling programs. Everything from the WWE looks exactly the same, is shot the same, is lit the same. You can hardly tell when they're the same building or when they're different buildings. Everything from AEW, unfortunately also, for good or bad, looks the same, is shot the same, and then the other programs try to, with a smaller budget, mostly mimic what they see on, on, the, uh, on the bigger networks because they're trying to look major league too. And have you ever seen multiple wrestling programs that look so similar? Is my question to you. That's hard to say. WWE's programs all look similar. AEW shows look similar to each other, but not to WWE shows per se. Well, no, I'm saying they, they all live, whatever they do, they look the same. Yes. Rampage, Battle of the Belts, yes. Dynamite, etc. Yes. Yeah, no matter what building they're in, usually both promotions, it looks pretty static from week to week. And everything takes for fucking ever to happen in the WWE. Entrances, interviews, commercial breaks. The only thing that doesn't take very long is most of the matches. 
And in AEW, I, I mean, for better or worse, again, everything takes forever. The good stuff, you don't mind it. And the bad stuff, you can't get through it. But they've got so much time now, because here's another thing. All of those different wrestling programs were predominantly one hour in length. You had 44 to 46 minutes, depending on your commercial situation, of actual program content. And you had shows on a weekly or monthly basis you need to sell tickets to. So you didn't have to, nor would you want to, let guys go out and fucking stay out there for half an hour and do these dramatic soliloquies or these goddamn marathon matches or whatever because you had to get everybody exposed, everything sold, and everything, the point made in an hour. And it, But Houston had 90 minutes. Memphis had 90 minutes. Sometimes Houston had two hours. Um, and lots of promos. And and lots of, of interviews with guys that could talk. But here's another thing. Both shows had localized live promos. Or yeah. live the tape, at least in Houston's case. And with when I was trying to slog through Raw, and I started thinking, is there any correlation in the territory days to this long and boring of a program where they just don't have enough talent to fill the time and they can't give all the big matches away so we're just <laughs> and you know what i thought of ktvt saturday night championship sports from the fort worth will rogers coliseum <laughs> is the closest thing i could come to and it still wasn't that boring and for those of you who don't know what that was, KTVT, and I don't know what their affiliation is now, but in the 70s and 80s, they were the Dallas, Texas version of the TBS Superstation or WOR in New York or WGN in Chicago. They, they, broadcast, were, C they broadcast CBS programming now. Okay. But see, you found that out that quick, but it took you 15 minutes to figure out Sleepy. It wasn't sleepy. It was sneezy, and you were talking. I was waiting for a moment not to interrupt you like I just did. Well, you should have been waiting longer. Wait for a moment not to interrupt me. You won't have to do a lot of talking. So, <laughs> but KTVT Channel 11 it was a, a Texas, in, the biggest independent station in the state of Texas, and it got on a lot of the early cable expansion and became somewhat by the early 80s, somewhat of a Texas superstation. It wasn't as wide as TBS or WGN, but they were on all the cable systems in Texas and Oklahoma and a lot of them in the Southwest area. So that was big time television. They had a reach at, at the signal alone. My God, they were one of the, it was a VHF signal in Dallas, Texas. So fuck, you're hitting a couple million people with your broadcast signal. So Saturday nights from 10 to midnight was the original TV time slot for Fritz von Erich's world-class wrestling before they got the famed Channel 39 one-hour syndicated world-class wrestling show from the Sportatorium that has been the subject of documentaries and everybody remembers fondly. The TV program where they brought in all the, the sports... Um, uh, uh, production specialists and had the camera inside the ring and really made it, you know, the 
the talk of wrestling production at that period of time in the early 80s. But the <laughs> the Saturday night show on – and that was on in Dallas. Channel 39 was another independent station. It was the Christian broadcasting station in Dallas. So the weird thing is that the TV show that that Fritz's territory had that everybody, all the hardcore wrestling fans and all the people around the country were talking about, the syndicated show in Dallas, it aired on a local independent and not a prime time slot. And that was the big show. That was the one from the Sportatorium where they had the main events because it was being syndicated cross country to other stations and the live crowd that was just so fucking rabid and that great atmosphere. But the local show that they had always had that promoted their Dallas and Texas events, the two-hour show, the one on the big station with the big signal, Saturday nights from 10 to midnight was shot on Mondays at the Will Rogers Coliseum in Fort Worth. And that building held about 6,000 people. And except for the time that they booked Flair and Carey on New Year's Eve and it sold out, I don't remember I saw more than 1,000 or 1,200 people in that building the whole time that we were there for six months. Really? That's, su- that's surprising. No, it was, it was every month or every month. Every week was the house of $9,000, $12,000, Because here's the thing. There would be a main event dark match involving the Von Erichs and, or, you know, something that was hot. But the people had smartened up to the fact that if they stayed home, they could watch the entire show on TV on Saturday night for free, not have to park and not have to do all that bullshit. And it wasn't a great show because that two-hour show, I mean, you would get Dennis Condry versus Brian Adidas, two out of three falls, and they'd go all three. You wouldn't get the the top main event matches. You wouldn't get the programs. You'd get the TV matches, and that's where you did interviews to promote all the local shows. Monday in Fort Worth, Friday night in Dallas, because that was every week. Friday night, Dallas Sportatorium. Monday night, Fort Worth, Will Rogers Coliseum. The big Star Wars event coming up, maybe at Reunion Arena, or might it be 4th of July at Tarrant County Convention Center in Fort Worth. That would sell out and draw 12,000 people or the Cotton Bowl, or Texas Stadium, or whatever. So that was the two hours that was more like the infomercial to promote all the events in Texas. But the thing is, they only had, as we've talked about, in world-class, 16 full-time guys in the territory. And you would have eight guys on a spot show, two single matches, a captain's match out of a tag, and a tag match. Eight guys and a referee, plus the manager. There's 10. And on the the regular weekly shows, they'd have all the guys and a few underneath guys, and maybe some name might come in. But for two hours trying to do TV matches where they didn't give anything away and fill that time, that's what they're doing the same thing they're doing on Raw now. The middle card guys are going 20 fucking minutes. And it was deadly dull during that time because the fucking crowd was not hot either. But the interviews still brought things up because they were the longest wrestling show interviews I'd ever seen besides when like somebody like Lawler got to take over Memphis television. They, they were open-ended, as I was told. 
And so you didn't just have two minutes or maybe three minutes like everywhere else. You'd go out to the ring and do them live in the ring. And Houston was kind of like this also, but they still didn't go this long. Uh, but you'd do them live in the ring with Mark Lorenz, who was a just a fireball personality. You love Mark, nice guy, but my God, he had to hold a mirror in front of his face, tell him he's still breathing on camera. So the first time that, you know, when we got there, and the first time we did one of these shows, I asked, why, well, how long is the segment? And that's when I was told by Ken Mantell, the booker, oh, the, these are open-ended. We've got two hours on the show, so, you know, just hit all your points. Don't let it drag. Well, then that first couple of weeks, they were asking me if I could keep it under seven minutes because I was having a fucking ball. But the thing is, where everybody else went out there, they also told you, they said, well, I said, so we're supposed to, we're supposed to promote Monday in Fort Worth and Friday in Dallas and the upcoming, what was the first big show? The, the upcoming, there was a big event at the Tarrant County Convention Center. We're going to do that. And I've got the issue with uh, Sunshine and also Rip Oliver's coming in. And they said, well, you don't need to hit all of that. You know, just hit the main points in the towns. I said, well, can I, can I mention all these matches? W well, Yeah. So I'd go out there and I'd hit the Midnight Express's match and Rip Oliver's match in Dallas and the Midnight Express's match and Rip Oliver's match in Fort Worth and the fucking issue I had with Sunshine or what was coming up at the big Star Wars event and knock the fuck and just have a ball, right? But I tested their open-endedness. But still, it was more exciting to watch that because at least something was happening or being talked about that was affecting something that you were either going to see on TV very shortly or you were going to go see live that next week. And the point is, in 50 years, we have gone from 40 or 50 different live or live-to-tape wrestling shows from all the promotions in the country airing somewhere in the United States, down to 20 or 30, down to 10 or 15, <laughs> and now down to a couple of companies and a couple of people broadcasting on a fucking sheet on the side of a fucking barn in Osceola, Arkansas. And it all looks the same, and it's more boring than it's ever been. So it's your show. You know, you Mr. talking Glass. about that, you talking about that made me think of something. We all talk about what happened to wrestling, and in a lot of cases, despite the awful content in a lot of ways it ended up being, it didn't have to be, but wrestling was going to go national no matter what because of cable television. It was a matter of who was going to jump on it, take the right opportunity, and exploit it the best. Right. Vince McMahon won that battle. But beyond that, to me, one of the sad things is what it actually did to television. Because you bring up the Superstations. Talk about one in Dallas, WOR here in New York, WGN in Chicago, WTBS in Atlanta, or WTCG and then WTBS in Atlanta. Right. We lost local TV. Because look at where we are now. WOR is just on in New York, and they don't even have local programming the way they used to. It used to be filled with local New York or Secaucus-based yep. <laughs> programming. That's all gone. They don't even have the Mets anymore. W Where's Joe Franklin? Well, he's dead. Oh, I didn't even know he was sick. WGN, other than, you know, anything like the Cubs, it doesn't really feel like a local Chicago station like it used to. TBS does not feel in any way like a station from Atlanta. 
It just feels like a generic station airing comedy shows and wrestling now and some sports. We lost that flavor of local networks being broadcast across the country. Just everything became a national broadcast as opposed to local TV being disseminated for other people to experience. Okay, and since you mentioned all those stations, what was, for years, the highest rated, most watched television program on not only the local version of WTBS, Channel 17 in Atlanta, but also the cable, the Superstation version across the country? I believe the highest rated show was wrestling. Exactly. On KTVT, we'll use that back again. When it was a superstation uh, in Texas and the Southwest in the 80s, I don't know if I don't have the statistic to say yay or nay that the the two-hour boring wrestling program I was talking about uh, was the highest-rated program and most-watched program on their air, but I can tell you that it often beat the Saturday Night Live, because Central Time, Saturday Night Live was on from 10.30 to midnight, and more people were watching that two-hour wrestling program, in a lot of cases, from Will Rogers Coliseum in Fort Worth, where the West begins, than was watching Saturday Night Fucking Live. W-O-R. When Vince Sr. couldn't get... Because New York's always been hard for television, right? And for a while in the 60s, they didn't have TV uh, to promote. That's why the Garden went to shit for a couple of years there. But then they got WOR, and it was, we've seen, well, got, go ahead. I think, and I think they got the Spanish station. They got the Spanish station, and it was actually Eddie Einhorn who got WOR for IWA. When IWA left the New York market, Vince got the time slot. But was not Vince on before Einhorn? Was Vince not on WOR? I could be wrong. I think Vince was only on the Spanish stations until after IWA pulled out. There was a... No, that would have been the the mid-70s. That would have been 76. No, he was on some because there was a... A a program, a flyer, an advertising flyer that was circulated on Twitter recently. It might have been some of Tim Hornbaker's research. It might have been, I I don't want to credit it to anybody because I can't remember who it was, but it was a promotional thing taunting, taunting, touting the ratings on Saturday night of the wrestling program and how Bruno, it had the big picture of Bruno, right? That was in the early 70s, was it not? When they were drawing... Well, a number now on Saturday nights at like midnight that any broadcast in their right mind would love to have today in prime time on a local basis. I'll see if I can find that because I have that. I actually have the master of that because it came from Kitzer, I yeah. believe. Uh, let me I see can't I remember can what that. year that was. But in, nevertheless, with the exception of, I don't think WGN was integrally involved in wrestling until later on with the the explosion in the 80s but that might be the only superstation in the united states that was not built on or didn't gain a lot of their popularity from the wrestling program their local wrestling program and that's what spurned tbs on to people wanted tbs wanted to get cable in the 80s in the early 80s specifically to watch georgia championship wrestling that was the 
people either wanted the Braves baseball or they wanted Georgia wrestling. That's why they were getting cable in those periods. Nevertheless, now we get caca. Caca, I say. That's right. Would there be a wrestling program now that you would put up against Saturday Night Live in Dallas, Texas? Right now, no. No. What would you put up against this, against this program that's your show? I put this show up against Saturday Night Live before I put a wrestling show up against Saturday Night Live. But then again, Saturday well, no, Night Live. Well, no, I mean, what do you want to put on your show today is what I'm talking about. Well, we have questions, like we said. Maybe a song or two. We'll see how things go. But <laughs> Maybe a song or two. What am I thinking of the theme song? Now, this is going to be one of those shows. And maybe a song or two. It's a cartoon theme. We'll have songs, possibly a tap dance. It's your song. I'm not yeah, sure. it's your song. <laughs> <laughs> Paul Jones had a song and he had to sing it. Well, let's We get... never did find out what that song was. We were snickering at poor Paul. That day we heard that, we were watching the monitor, me in the midnight, because Paul was desperately trying to do one of the, the shoot promos like some of the young folks were doing at that point in time where it had a double meaning only to the smart fans and or to the regular fans and and it didn't even have a meaning to the boys in the locker room we couldn't figure it out okay i have here it's 75 from variety all right then i guess you were right from variety here's the headline it's incredible championship wrestling returns to channel 9 wor tv with a bang! Every Saturday at 1 p.m., 7.0 rating, first in time slot, 32% share of audience, Capital Wrestling Corp. Vincent J. McMahon, president. And a big picture here of Bruno San Martino. Okay, so they were doing, a, and that's Saturday at 1 o'clock. Yes. They were doing a 32 share, which may, it's not a 32 rating, the 32 share means that 32% of the televisions being watched in the New York market on Saturday afternoon at one o'clock were watching the wrestling program. And that didn't, they had, then was it Boston? They did just stupid numbers at midnight or was that in New York at a later period of time or what am I thinking of for the, their late night program? I'm not sure of a specific one you're talking of, but really when you think about it, if wrestling's on at midnight, even if it's on a Spanish network, back then when a lot of channels went off the air and there weren't that many options, there weren't that many options. If you were up, you were watching yeah. wrestling. So I wonder now what wrestling program would capture one third of the viewing audience in the New York metropolitan area on Saturday afternoon at one o'clock. That's one of the interesting things I've always thought about, you know, especially in recent years where WWE struggles in Madison Square Garden. And again, it's a different garden. There's less seats. Seats are more expensive than ever before. Penn Station's worse than ever before. It's just a pain <laughs> in the ass. But there was always local TV. When I was a kid, I became a wrestling fan specifically because Superstars of Wrestling was on 10 a.m. on Saturday morning. And... A lot of kids don't discover wrestling. Look, a lot of kids don't watch local TV. My kids don't watch local TV. They're on their phone. They watch whatever's on their phone. So it's Well, you know to- what? There's hardly anything on local TV worth watching anymore, as we've talked about, since you lost the, the local flavor, the local talk shows, the local fucking variety shows, the local fucking kid shows, the local horror shows. All you got now is news. 
And there's only our Fox affiliate has a local news block from four to seven o'clock nonstop every day. And there ain't that much news in Louisville. They go th- every 30 minutes. If you watch 30 minutes, you've watched the whole thing. They try to milk you for the seven-day forecast to get you to watch a whole hour. But after that, you know what's going on. Well, speaking of knowing what's going on, what was going on this week on AEW Rampage, if we want to talk about something to start things up? Oh, boy. Um... Apparently now, and we got to be watching out for this, folks. I know that I'll I'll do a public service here for Tony Khan, and I'll I'll keep his numbers from crashing on Fridays. Apparently, in May, the schedule for the All Star Rampage event on Friday nights is going to be bouncing around because the NBA and the NHL and Mickey Mouse Club and whatever else special programming they got. So we got to keep an eye on this. It's going to be. Early in the evening, later in the evening, we don't know when it might be. Hey, let me ask you a question about that. Let's say you're Tony Khan, and you know your show is going to be bouncing around for several weeks. What do you do, and what do you do differently than you normally would? Well, normally I would say, in this situation, just fill the time with some good matches with some guys that you'd like to give some wins to, and don't shoot any major angles, and don't go too far with any stipulations because in some cases you don't even know whether you're going to be in the time slot that you're advertised for. If a live sports event runs over, people may miss it with the DVR. So just expose your talent that you want to give some wins to and fill the time and plan for something to come back to the regular schedule. That's normally what I'd say, but since he's already doing that, except... (laughs) I I guess it's the people he wants to give wins to, but this program hasn't had any meaning. They promote the matches that are going to be on it ahead of time on Wednesday. That doesn't mean those matches are worth a shit. And they've got the opportunity to edit it, which means it makes less sense than normal because apparently the Eddie Kingston match that we were exposed to in this program Apparently live went about 10 minutes longer than it did on on the air. Oh, really? I didn't know that. That's what I've read. That's what I'm being led to believe. And boy, howdy. Am I thankful for the miracle of modern editing? But anyway, so I, I mean, it already, it's just, a, we've talked about, it's just a program lingering there with a lot of the, you know, just cold matches. And the problem is they're both cold matches and matches with stipulations. They're matches that nobody really wants to see, but they're thrown out there with Texas deathmatch rules and this rule and that rule to just waste the idea of a match that people might want to see in the future between two people with that stipulation, but they've already seen one that they didn't care for because it mattered not. So anyway, well, they, they'll probably do the same program and it'll just air whenever it airs. But be aware, everybody. Don't ruin your Friday nights. You may have to look for this thing. Get your magnifying glass out, the pipe and the deer stalker cap, and search for clues of where you can watch this over the next month or so. Is that what you call that, a deer stalker hat? I believe it is. I never knew that was the term, deer stalker. Why don't you look that up? Well, you just have me Googling everything today. What the since fuck? You're just, since you're just a Googling fella there, you're a Googling fool. Uh, it says here, uh, it is a deer stalker hat until Eddie Einhorn pulled out in 1975. Okay, well, there you go. And then it became, then it became the <laughs> regular championship wrestling hat. 
All right, well, Rampage opened up, no introductions. They blew off the pyro. Excrement says hello in his Federal Express commercial voice. And boy, people of a certain age will just be guffawing over that one. And they rang the bell for the dream match. It, the, they should call it a fever dream match. It's a match that I would certainly have running through my head if I'd have eaten leftover Taco Bell warmed up in the microwave alongside cat food for dinner. Adam Cole versus Tomohiro Ishii. Oh, that's e. ridiculous. It's just Ishii. Ishii. Well, it should have been easy. Or maybe the entire rest of that rap group. <laughs> Brian Last. What? Yes. You cannot tell me. Oh, boy. Here we go. You cannot tell me. Because you have... I, I know you've been a, a more of a fan of modern Japanese wrestling than I have been over the last number of years since they completely lost their fucking mind over here like we did or over there like we did over here and their wrestling fucking sucks now too but you have said in the past that you like this this guy this Tomohiro Ishii one of the greatest matches I ever saw was Shinsuke Nakamura versus Tomohiro Ishii in New Japan it was on the same night as AJ Styles versus Minoru Suzuki, which won match of the year, and it was better. It was worlds better. It was one of the greatest matches. Okay, he's, was that in black and white? Because how old is this fucking guy? Well, he's, he looks like a very old guy, although... He looks like a very old, very old, very old. But he had no wrinkles. If you look at his face, he had no wrinkles, because I thought that he... didn't have any wrinkles, because he's so fucking p- short and pudgy and fat. He looks like a baked potato with arms and legs. He could, he could be the Japanese Dr. Luther. No, well, let's not go crazy. In the right circumstance against the right opponent, he is great at delivering a hard-hitting match. Unfortunately, you, know, yeah, you fired him out of a fucking cab no, and you, he could bowl somebody no, over. You put him in there with the right guy. Unfortunately, Adam Cole was not the right guy. I don't know whose dream match this was, but I actually like Ishii. This wasn't my dream match. Oh, come on. Now, you're going to blame Adam Cole and not Ishii. Did you watch the match? Yes, I did. I And they worked together on this fucking hiccup. This was a joint effort to stink the joint out as badly as possible. I will agree with you that Adam Cole was in no way good, but you can't tell me. Fucking uh, old Eji, or E for short, old E, he locked up like he was in a body cast. And then Adam Cole started working with him like he was working with a Fabergé egg. The the from the open, the Adam Cole hits him with two little soft tackles that made no noise. That there was no body language behind. That of course, because he's not supposed to sell them. But Adam Cole, like they work with Suzuki now. They're either scared to hurt him because he'll stretch him and kill him, or scared to hurt him because he looks so fragile, or both. In this case, I don't know whether he is a shooter or not. So they may not be scared to hurt him because he'll kill him, but it looked like that they were working with a guy that just came out of goddamn suspended animation. And then E gives Cole one tackle, and Cole bumps and rolls to the floor, and any casual, again, I say this, no point to it, because there is no casual viewer of this program. Nobody's going to watch this 
unless they're already predisposed to, which is the problem, why the ratings aren't growing, why the numbers aren't improving. Any casual viewer would look at this visual and say, what the fuck? The one guy's 175 pounds and the other guy's a Japanese potato. And they're doing fake shit. Go back and I dare any AEW fan, anybody who wants to disagree with me, go back and watch this shit. Have we, is this the standard of work that we're now willing to chant? This is awesome about Adam Cole's kicks barely touched. He can barely move. They had a lackluster fight on the floor. He clotheslines the post and sells his arms so Adam Cole could get some lackluster heat. He laid in a chin lock with not only... Mike Mondo just tweeted about this recently. The only reason the term rest hold was given is because people fucking see somebody laying there taking a fucking breather. Cole's got a chin lock. The guy's not fighting it. The guy's got no facials. The guy's not even kicking his fucking feet. The guy's laying in a chin lock. I've seen more movement caused by gas escaping a corpse. But meanwhile, excrement is putting E over with his record in Japan. And he's walking around like a tub of goo. So it makes the announcer look like this guy. You're telling me has done all this. But then Adam Cole makes E mad. So with a complete blank facial expression. He just stops selling anything and it turns into Brody versus Luger in a cage in Florida where Cole is throwing strikes that don't really look that good anyway because it's not punches. It's those shitty forearms that everybody falls back on now. And this guy's not only not selling them, but he's not even making a facial response. And Taz tried to cover up for this embarrassment. I said, well, look, he's putting his body into him. So that's why Adam Cole with everything he has, is not even able to move this guy's fucking head. So Adam Cole hits E with eight consecutive forearms, and he sells none of them. And then E hits Adam Cole with one, and he drops like a dumpster baby on prom night. And then E goes for a power bomb, But Adam Cole foiled it, so they staggered. <laughs> And they went back and forth. And then they went to a break. I'm thinking they're going home. I'm like, oh, God, at least this is almost over. Our long national nightmare has come to an end. Pull those bamboo shoots out from under my fingernails, Tony. We're going to the break. I wrote, my God, how long can this go? So they come back. E did a delayed superplex. And he never got him straight. He had him up there. Fine, that's very, you got to be very powerful to do that. But he had him up at a slant, so when he went backwards, it was one of those thunk bumps. Poor Adam Cole. Remember I've told you when you land, bam! It's not an edit, Jace. Then you're fine. When you land thunk, that jars your fucking spleen. Well, Adam Cole's spleen is now green. They went more back and forth. The, it, the strikes look fake. E gave Adam Cole an enziguri. It went right over his head. Whiff, and Cole dropped like a turd into a toilet bowl. And then I looked, 
It's only 10 minutes into this show. And abruptly, out of nowhere, Jay White runs down in Pearl Harbor's Rocky Romero, who's at ringside. By the way, so is our little dog Pockets, but nobody's done anything. They're just sitting there watching. But for no reason, Jay White comes down in Pearl Harbor's Rocky Romero. And while the referee is looking at that, Adam Cole nut shots, ee, and then hits his knee. So it, I know now it's his gimmick that he has to hit everybody in the nuts. But so you bring somebody, I, I assume he, does, he doesn't live in Des Moines. So I assume they brought him from Japan, plane ticket, hotel, payoff, to have a fake looking match on national TV with one of their alleged top guys, big signings. And then that top guy has to beat, hit the guy in the nuts to beat him after they expose the business for 10 minutes. Your thoughts on this, Brian, now that I've made my feelings on E. His name's Ishii. His name's Ishii. He's a fine wrestler, and this was not an example of that in any way. This was a horrible match. You broke down <laughs> a lot of the things that I was seeing. The spot where he didn't sell as he was getting hit. Can't blame him. They looked like shit. He didn't sell it. With that said, I don't know what they were intending to do there. I'm sure that wasn't the feeling they had. I go, like, oh, Adam Cole's blows look like crap. He's not going to sell them. No, he wasn't. He wasn't going to sell them anyway. Exactly. what they looked like. Exactly. They just happened to also look like shit. Adam Cole's headlocks, if you watch how much air he was getting in them, it was, this was just not a good match. Uh, the only other thought I'll have. As well, a matter of who was, I think it was Buddy Landell one time told a guy, he said, boy, I watched your match. I need to wear sunglasses. They said, why? Because all the daylight in between your shit. <laughs> that sounds like a Buddy line right there. <laughs> but uh, Adam Cole, I don't understand why any AEW fans would really care much about him at this point. He's lost whatever he had that was special. What it was, so what is E's problem then? Is he just coming over and taking the guy's money and putting in a performance like that? And because he's a Japanese superstar, nobody's going to say anything to him, such as, why did that suck so bad? Maybe this just wasn't the time for him to have a nice stiff match. I really don't know. The other thing is between Dynamite... It was time for me to have a nice stiff drink. Between Dynamite and Rampage... Whatever happened to the hot Pittsburgh crowd AEW had? Because the crowd was dead throughout Rampage. At least that's the way it sounded here at home on my TV. I don't know what other yes. people's sound bars are set to. And of course, Dynamite, at a certain point, the crowd completely died there. This show did nothing to bring them back into it, it seemed. No, well, and a good point. This had to be what we've read emails from people who have reported on the timing of the AEW tapings, if this was after Dynamite, which they usually are, then th these people are sitting there at midnight. Close to. Let me ask you this. If I could say one positive thing about Adam Cole, it seems like he takes care of his hair. Do you think he applies the same care to his front lawn? Well, you know, I'm not exactly sure because actually, now that I think about it, maybe Adam Cole would have a better career and a better future as a landscape professional than he does in the current environment that he's in now as a professional wrestler. But folks, yeah, I've been talking about all the problems I've had with my landscaping and various things going on here at the castle over the past couple of years. And now we have a new sponsor that's joined the program that has almost got me fixed up and sorted out and worked out. 
there's still a few things that I've got to talk over with them to relate to my specific situation. But folks, you shouldn't have that problem because the folks at GetSunday.com are going to fix up your lawn. It's spring is almost here. We just talked on the last program about we're getting jacked out of spring here in the Ohio Valley area, but it's almost here and the grass is starting to get green and starting to come back and leaves are starting to come out. But sometimes your lawn doesn't come back. Sometimes you've got the bare spots. Sometimes the moles have been out and, and they have sabotaged the look and, and, and the beauty of your lawn, whatever the case may be. If you want to keep your lawn growing all season long and healthy without worrying about nasty chemicals that might poison the, uh, the, the local wildlife or your pets, or every once in a while, if, you know, if, if Uncle Jethro gets drunk and lays face down in the front yard and starts gnawing on the grass again, you don't want to poison him with nasty chemicals. So the folks at GetSunday.com can help you grow a beautiful lawn without the guesswork or the nasty chemicals. Their custom plans include fertilizer and everything that you need to easily care for your lawn with ingredients like seaweed and molasses and and marshmallows too. I like marshmallows with molasses. You think they'll put marshmallows on my grass? No, I don't and, think that's how it works at all. And there's iron in here also, so you won't have iron poor grass to go along with your iron poor blood and you can let the kids on it you can let the pets on it your kids can chew on the grass your pets can piss on it or the kids can piss on the grass the pets can chew on it whatever how about everyone just goes to the toilet and and let's talk about the lawn and not the urination well you know getsunday.com doesn't sell toilets but all you've got to do is go to getsunday.com put in your address and their lawn analysis tool does the rest. They analyze the soil and climate data in your region to create a personal nutrient plan, and they'll have it delivered to your door. And once they know where you are, then they're going to put a satellite on you. It's going to keep an eye on you at all times. Every time you're out in the yard, you're going to get a message on your phone saying, go back in the house, you're walking on the grass. Just attach the ready-to-use pouch that they send you to a garden hose and spray. It takes less than 15 minutes. You'll have a beautiful green lawn. The best thing is the stuff really works. The, the problem I've got is, of course, I have a little bit of ground out here and I can't reach a hose to everything. And also, it'd take a lot of pouches. But if you folks have a are lucky enough to have a size yard that you can take care of, then, boy, this is for you. And... Sunday, the folks at Sunday are offering our listeners 20% off because full season plans start at just $129 for green grass and high tides forever. And you can get 20% off at checkout when you visit GetSunday, that's G-E-T-S-U-N-D-A-Y, GetSunday.com slash J-C-E, 20% off your custom plan at GetSunday.com slash J-C-E. You know, I've understood that a lot of states now are getting into the grass growing industry. They say it's it's a multi-billion dollar industry growing grass these days. So well, if you want yours green and healthy, 
And you may be able to sell some to, to your next door neighbor. No, no, this is a different type of grass. This is the grass that's on your front lawn, and it's certainly yeah. something that you just want to look at and stare at and not rip up or do anything else. And your neighbor may become jealous, especially after Sunday Lawn does their thing. But yeah, that's the only kind of grass we're talking about here. And boy, I'll tell you what. When you spray this stuff on your lawn and then you have a big bonfire, throw some of the grass That's clippings no, in and the whole the whole neighborhood will be happy no, about that. No, let's not encourage bonfires. Sunday lawn will make your lawn look nice. You're not going to want to light it on fire, ladies and gentlemen. You're going to want to well, stare yeah. at it and point it at. Point. I can't even talk. I give up. If, if, if you light it on fire and then you just happen to be there and take a few deep breaths, things will get better. GetSunday.com slash jce for 20 percent off your custom plan of of a green lawn that's right jim sunday lawn we welcome them here to the show and some people have to mow their lawn and there's no real good transition with mow and wrestling <laughs> are there any well, mows in wrestling well mo green was in wrestling now that i think about it and you make mo green with morris green whatever happened to that guy um, he lives an actual real life here now. He's married and has a family and a child or children uh, in Louisville here. And he was not ruined by the wrestling virus. But we can, speaking of viruses, <laughs> there, was, there was one going on a rampage Friday night on uh, the Turner Network. Well, what used to be the Turner Networks. Did you see the VTR from earlier in the day where security will not let Jericho's appreciators in the arena, just Danny Garcia, just the Rock's wife, not any of the other ones, because they're barred tonight when he takes on Eddie Kingston. And this was so overacted that it, it and and thrown away as if it was a frivolous thing and they're making fun of it and you know, trying to be entertaining. And so it meant nothing because they weren't taking it seriously. And the one of the first things that I ever learned before I got into wrestling business, when I was just riding around with Troy Graham, the dream machine, if the heel is not legitimately upset about a stipulation that is meant to limit his nefarious activities, then it don't mean anything because he don't care. If he don't care, why do you care? So they were just laughing about it. No good Jericho appreciators, a whole bunch of them. But that wasn't as troubling as now we're continuing to have interaction between Danhausen and Hook. Did you see this? I the did. most heinous act that anyone could perpetrate on young Hook, Danhausen stomped on his bag of potato chips. Right before I saw this clip, I was going through some of the drive-through emails for a question or two for this show. And someone had sent in a question saying, do you think the reason we've never heard Hook's voice is because it's been exposed previously on AEW TV briefly as being high-pitched? <laughs> but it wasn't high-pitched here, so it was nice to actually hear his real voice. Well, but... <laughs> God damn it. That's the only positive God I can come out of this with. God damn it. 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 We ought to put that to music. God damn it. God damn it. God damn it. God damn it. Let me illustrate what's happened here in this 45-second pre-tape. This kid, they like the kid. The kid has talent. He looks like he's serious when he's in the ring. He's in good shape. He's got the wild hair. He's a, he's a sex symbol for the ladies. They're interested in him. 
and he comes in and Danhausen that is yet to be explained if if you know you know as they say nobody's explained that this guy's a wrestler why he's why he thinks trying to curse people that could beat the shit out of him is a good idea why he's got his face painted what the deal is with the weird voice he's just appeared because it was a thing on the indies so they knew that everybody would know about him so again anybody but the indoctrinated cult members of this secret society that's looking at this see here's this kid comes in and this goofball in his makeup has stomped on his potato chips which again silly enough to begin with but if it's something that belongs to this guy and this fucking wacko is stomping all over it then hook what he does on this tape is he walks up and he gets in Danhausen's face and he says if you wanted my attention you've got it and then walks off this would have been the spot where if you wanted people to be interested in this fucking guy hook he would snatch this fucking moron by his neck twist his arm around his fucking rib cage and give him a judo throw and splatter him on the ground and say, don't touch my shit, you weirdo, and then kick him in the face. Then people would say, oh, hook. But right now, this fucking guy that looks like he's as physically threatening as a goddamn my pillow destroys the young star's property and the young star just, well, you've got my attention. Ooh. And that means we're going to see more interaction, I suppose, between these two. So they're determined to bury Hook six feet deep without a goddamn breathing tube. Because he's getting over. That's what I saw. Did you see anything different? Well, I can't speak to how hazardous a my pillow is or isn't, but let me just say... At least this was on just the Friday show, although I think the goal with this is really to get a clip, put it on YouTube, and hope enough people will be curious about it to check it out. Wait, well, but, what, is the, what is the YouTube fucking headline? Weirdo stomps young wrestlers potato chips? Hold on, let's see if this is on the AEW YouTube channel. YouTube, I believe .com, there it is, I've heard of this before. Yeah, you, I've heard of that. Yeah, I've yeah, heard of this place. .com, there's... Several AEW, clips of us on that platform. AEW Hook. Oh, it comes up right away. Hook Danhausen. Uh, report search prediction. Just give me the fucking search. What is this shit? Search. All right, here are the recent headlines. Four days ago, a video went up. The world is on edge. Will Hook and Danhausen finally wrestle? AEW Dynamite from the 20th. The one that went up a month ago was, is Hook certified? Is, <laughs> is Hook's Certificate of Accomplishment Award cursed? From Rampage a month ago. Oh, here's the one. Here it is. From Rampage on the 22nd. Hook Speaks is the headline. <laughs> you can barely hear him. Dan hasn't talked for most of it and stomped the potato chips. And Hook just lets his possessions be destroyed walks off okay all right never mind then did you see 
What happened next on Rampage? Lance Archer is... Now, what the hell is it he's about? He's about to fight Wardlow, right? On Dynamite this coming Wednesday, yes. He's the latest guy to get paid off by MJF to fight Wardlow. And so naturally that means that since we haven't seen him, since he got beat in a Texas death match that wasn't a Texas death match that they had for no reason for the world title just because they was in Texas, and he got beat, so now he has to get a win real quick to make this showdown with Wardlow the can't-miss, right? So Lance Archer entrance, and he's announced accompanied by Jake Roberts. Archer's coming down the ramp so fast, Jake is nowhere to be seen, and he's lapped <laughs> him around the building, right? <laughs> Jake's going to take his time anyway, but Archer goes straight to the ring and a, a masked jobber is already in the ring and dives out head first through the ropes and hits Lance Archer and bounces off him. Archer just snatches him out of the air and boom and down he goes at the, his feet and he picks him up and choke slams the job guy on the apron and then gives him a suplex. This guy's 130 fucking pounds in a generic masked outfit that you know nick Goulish used to pull out of his drawer every once in a while when he when he needed a fucking heel and put it on his gardener or something and then he hits his finish archer does one two three then he choke slams the guy then he choke slams him again now this would be obviously more impactful and dominant if he was against a real out of athlete or anyone that looked like they should be on a national televised wrestling program. But since it's a fucking clown in a fucking mask, that's literally less than half his size. It just looks comical. And after the second choke slam, the referee, the voice of authority, the official (laughs) runs out of the ring. Like it's Abdullah. The butcher's gone mad and Gary Hart's trying to get the fucking cloth over his head to calm the beast down no it's just because they don't have any control here and then i think he choke slammed him again and finally they got a shot of jake a close-up on the floor because he had just gotten to the ring and he never even got in the ring when his man won he didn't get in the ring to raise archer's fucking hand this was rotten bad Pro wrestling is what this was. Yes, give Lance Archer a win. No, don't make it funny with the the visual of this goofy-looking fucking kid in a mask, job guy. Don't make it funny with the job guy jump-starting the match by diving out and bouncing off this fuck, because it's funny. And it, oh, 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 look at that. If you want this fucking guy to come out and be look like a hitman, give him a real adult man to beat up and let him do it without all the ha-ha. And while you're at it, maybe give him a manager that'll actually talk about him every once in a while and can get to the ring before his match is over with. And doesn't look like he's sweating Crisco out of every pore. He was dressed like it was 1983 and he was going out to get coke for Hawk. Oh, he was going to go to the other, uh, the left side of I-95 in Stanford instead of the right side. He had the Godwins <laughs> driving. 
I don't know. This was Atlanta, Jake. <laughs> Look at that outfit. No, no, no. Stamford Jake was just as bad. He needed a ride. Fuck it. I'm sure the Godwins wouldn't mind. Jake was in the office. I may have even said, told a story before. Jake was in the office, supposedly on the creative team for that brief period of time in 1997 when Vince was trying to give him another chance. Till remember, he overslept and showed up to Shotgun Saturday night 10 hours late in the same town. But nevertheless, Jake had no driver's license. So he's having the Godwins drive him to the fucking, I think it was to the garden, but it was to one of the shows up there. And they picked him up in Connecticut and he had him go stop off in the hood on the way down so he could get something. A member of the office. Anyway, bad pro wrestling segment. Rotten bad and not very good. But this entire show wasn't very good, but we still got the main event to come. Oh, well, uh, hold on a second now. And, and by the way, folks, for those of you keeping track, Mark Sterling and Tony Nice are now a couple. He's representing Nice now. I know Tony Nice doesn't actually wrestle. He just sits in a crowd. But still, just keep an eye out for that. So, they did Kingston, say, uh, go ahead. What they, now? They did say that he was undefeated in that, right? In that package? Yeah. Have we seen him yet? We have not seen him on the TV wrestling shows, I don't believe. Well, yeah. So, what difference does it make? Um, Kingston versus Garcia. Now they're pretending they're in Japan. Okay, if E wants to work that way, well, he's Japanese. Ishii. But now Kingston and Garcia are having a Japan, and not 70s, 80s Japanese wrestling when it was the best wrestling in the world, but 2020s again when they do the same shit as they do here. So here's what happened. They fought on the floor. They chopped and kicked each other on purpose letting each other chop and kick them. They went to a break. They came back and they stood there and let each other chop each other again. Why do people think this is pro wrestling now? And that's and they had a match that looks like all the other matches that all the guys try to have that watch too many tapes from Japan, and it's phony as a football bat, and they went to the finish. Kingston hits a suplex. Gets a two count, kind of slowly picks Garcia up. Garcia foils another suplex, but then Kingston hits a suplex. And then he spins around and hits him with the back limp wrist. One, two, three. I like Eddie Kingston as a promo and as a Archie Bunker fucking New York personality, whatever the fuck, right? The fucking guy, the mechanic and fucking Secaucus. And he can have a good match when it's a fight. But when he's he's admitted he's wrapped up in Japanese wrestling. And when he's standing there with another guy that they're doing the same shit as all this other guys. It just fuck. And the back fist, I'm sorry, but Eddie, I know you don't want to knock anybody's teeth out. But this is not only in high def, but now the cable boxes have slow motion. If you can't hit a back fist by making a fist, don't hit the back fist. Because he he spun around and challenged him to a duel. Is what he did. Looked like he hit him in the face with a glove. He bitch slapped him. Not even that hard. 
You challenge him to a duel and you bitch slap him. I mean, that's what you do. No, with the gloves, the beef. <laughs> he turned around and just went with beef with the glove. Hey, it, it, it. Did I adequately sum this up? I really didn't like this. I'm just going to start with what you just said because we've talked about it a lot, but maybe the more we talk about it, something will change one day. Everyone's doing the spot where you have to stand in the middle and exchange shots. When it's at the beginning of the match, not as bad as when it's in the middle or towards the end of the match where all of a sudden it just breaks down and they just stand there and do it. Some guys could do it and make it feel emotional. Other guys just look like they're going through the motions like you're supposed to do this. Everyone's doing it, though. It's in the matches we like, sadly. It's in all the other matches. It shouldn't be everywhere. I guess that's my main point. I think AEW has really kind of blown it with Eddie Kingston. Not that they can't still do stuff with him, but there was a moment to capitalize on, and they truly haven't, I don't think, they haven't properly capitalized on it. Then No, they never did. Even though this crowd was dead, and that hurt this match big time. This crowd sucked. Again, we don't know how much wrestling they Well, now, come on now. You're, 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 you're victim shaming here is what you're doing. Oh, stop you're blaming, it. Oh, stop it. You're blaming the crowd? I mean, why don't you blame the fucking hostages of terrorists for not showing more emotion on their fucking videos? Maybe I'm wrong, but, and I was someone who, when you first started saying, who? What about Daniel Garcia early on? I was saying, well, you know, he looks like he could be a hooligan. He looks like he could maybe get into a fight or two. The Jericho stuff has made me care less about him because now I see him as a goof. I never saw him as a goof until now. Now I see him as a goof. Don't worry about me. I'm a sports entertainer. Yeah, you're a goof. So I can't care too much about you. The only thing I liked was the thing at the end where Eddie, because this you could use in a package, where Eddie got over him and said, I'm not going to whip you. I'm sending a message to your boss. That was all right. Problem yeah, is, that, was, that was a fine little piece of business. The problem is the boss is acting like he's on Monday Night Raw. And Daniel Garcia means less now than he did a few weeks ago, at least as far as I'm concerned. Eddie Kingston hasn't been used since that article came out, since the fans turned him, since the fans got behind him. What have they really done with him? There has been a moment in time where a lot of guys had momentum naturally because this crowd does like to go into business for themselves. So take advantage of that. But whether it be the Kingston, the Players Tribune article, or whether Hook just naturally catching on because they like the the difference of it, or Danielson suddenly becoming the best heel in wrestling for six weeks, or what, and because it's not in Tony's ADD riddled fucking notebook from when he was seventeen years old and fantasized all this in his head. He's not taking advantage of these things because he doesn't, he, he reads the internet to find out what the fans want instead of listening to the fans in the building. That's the problem because none of these young people speak to each other anymore, or talk or engage personally. I mean, Hey, it's highly overrated. I'm happy with no social contact because I'm retired and in my old age. But the you can't fucking book by reading people's reviews on the internet. Those aren't real people anyway. When you've got people in your buildings cheering the fuck out of something or booing the fuck out of something or somebody, 
go with those things. It, it again, you know, he decided two years ahead of time Adam Page is going to be a world champion because everybody said, "Oh, he's a future world champion." All the people that got him a job and all of his friends said that. So they do nothing to get him ready to be world champion, then put it on him because that was their intent. And there's ten guys in the company that are more over. So, yes, I love I love planning ahead, but not to the detriment of everything. I mean, my God, do you think I would have made primetime Brian Lee the first ever Smoky Mountain heavyweight champion if I could have got Brad Armstrong or Tracy Smothers? Or if by the time that tournament around came around, if they'd have been in the company, I would have changed the fucking plans. If Flair had taken Rick Rubin's deal, do you still put the belt on primetime Brian Lee? No! At the volunteer slam. No, you don't! <laughs> All right, anyway, moving forward to the main event, there was a scripted argument between Jane Cargill, Mark Sterling, and Marina Schaefer. Shafir. You know her name, Shafir. Shafir, I'm sorry, I couldn't remember. Because she's so memorable. And we had the weekly Mark Henry sighting for 20 seconds. So they come to this match now. And by the way, I mentioned somebody said that they cut the live Kingston-Garcia match from 20 minutes down to 10. Well, they had 13 minutes left on the air when this match started. Jane Cargill and Marina Schaefer. So I said, I'm going to give them a couple minutes to see what's what's what here. And and see if they can hook me. And by the way, did you see referee Aubrey has been in heavy training? She's looking in great shape. And the legs, boy, she's, I'm telling you what, she might win it. I don't know you what think? you're talking about. I have no idea what you're talking about. Ref Aubrey, it's almost the first Saturday in May. I think she's got a oh, chance to run it. for the roses. What's wrong with you? Stop it. <laughs> Wait, haven't you noticed now she's got the long ponytail and she makes the serious face? She sort of looks like Mr. Ed. <laughs> Wilbur. So anyway, Jane clotheslines Marina Schaefer over the top rope. Shafir. And she goes for a dive, and suddenly Taz says, let's take another look at that. And they fly replay in over the top of her clothesline, and when they come back, she's fighting on the floor. So I wish we had seen that dive. This would have been so much fun live to watch, but not on tape. Mark Sterling distracted the referee and the baddie section, the baddie baddies beat up. Marina, Marina is the baby face here, but never smiles, never acknowledges the fans and just kind of trods on ahead. I wrote, I feel bad for two girls this green being given this much time on national TV and having to follow all these other idiots doing all that other shit. And then when you bring up that it was the nearly midnight and they went to a break and I forgot to come back. What happened? Uh, Jay Cargill eventually won. Uh, Swami's going nuts at someone in the background. I'm not exactly sure who. But, Man, is, uh, is Swami upset at that finish? Was Swami in the camp of Marina Schaefer? Uh, Marina Shafir. Uh, no, he, um, he, he's just barking at someone else. I'm, not, I'm trying to look right now to see who it is here on. Why don't they call her No Fear Shafir? I'm not sure why they don't call her that, but the other big thing was the celebration of the 30th victory. 30-0 for Jade Cargill. They dropped balloons from the ceiling. 
I don't know. It looked like maybe it was like fake money or something also. I'm not sure. It looked like those Young Bucks dollars, but it couldn't be the Young Bucks because it's her. But there was all sorts of shit flying around and she celebrated like a big baby face. Can you imagine if they took Powerhouse Hobbs or any several of the young folks that we've said, boy, why can't they get a shot and gave them the pushes that they have given to Jane Cargill and Wheeler, Utah? Imagine what might happen. Then Jane ain't bad. Jane don't no, suck. She's you know not what? rotten. She's actually, for the time she's been in the business and her experience level, she is a good athlete. The, the debut was just so memorable and so classic. But she's green, and I'm pretty sure she has no idea, nor is she going to learn from almost anybody there what the fucking wrestling business is. But she's not. She's been probably their most successful homegrown project. Uh, her, maybe Wardlow. Wardlow's getting there, but Wardlow is, has not been featured as an individual until now, whereas they've actually, that's true. You know, that's they've stuck point. with Jane from the, maybe that's the one thing they've stuck with from the start that might've worked out. No, look, she looks like a star. She carries herself like a star. Her promos are pretty good for, what she's doing i think that bitch show is stupid but you know whatever whatever makes her happy whatever they're trying to do with the baddie section i'm not exactly sure but she's trying i mean they rushed her to tv i mean that's just the yeah. fact and there was nowhere to send her i mean she had i guess trained a little bit here and there but where are you gonna send her if you have someone who looks like that do you just keep training him and training him or do you try to it seems like tony Khan would rather get her on tv and let's try to get something out of her right away well and that's short-sighted I've always, obviously I've always been against, well, let's try to get something out of whoever, put them on TV before they're ready, unless you know they're never going to be ready. And because of their striking size or visual look, let's get something out of it. But I've always, when you have good prospects, I've always rather have erred on the side of safety and keep them off TV a little too long at the start to make sure that they don't embarrass themselves when the people first see them because of the lasting first impression. But that's just going by logic and common sense and the history of the wrestling business, not by the conditions of today. But that was Rampage. That was Rampage, and perhaps you're a Jade Cargill fan that wants to go on an internet Rampage and build a Shrine the Jade Cargill website. You could develop those skills those coding skills with a certain friend of yours, Jim. Well, you know, I've got some updated information, Brian, on this very topic, because, you know, we've, we've been talking about Code Academy for a, a number of weeks now, and we've said there's something going on. Obviously, it's like the Da Vinci Code. We've got to be able to, to look and to pay attention and to pick up the clues and to crack it's, some of these mysteries. No, it's nothing like the Da Vinci Code, no. Well, and and also, you know, and, and this is something that involves AEW as well and Tony Khan and I guess his father is involved because, you know, the Khans, they're big movers and players in the, in the world of high finance and they've got billions of dollars. And it seems like all of this is starting to come together because remember a few weeks ago, Tony Khan blamed the bots for being anti-AEW, saying that the bots were out there. It wasn't real people. It was someone, some nefarious, mysterious entity paying bots 
or paying for bots to knock AEW on Twitter, right? And I've already said I had nothing to do with that. Well, but see, now, now this is starting to make sense because, Brad, we, we all know you're way too cheap and you would never pay for something like that. But the Code Academy people, the trails of breadcrumbs and clues that they've been leaving, the bots and the suspicion, it's all come together. I have an email I can't reveal this gentleman's name. He's from Wasco, California. And everybody knows that is a, a hotbed, like Silicon Valley area activity for all of the, well, it's some of this is conducted underground where we're all going to be living when the lizard people take over. But nevertheless. Silicon Valley, yeah. Robert, I, 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 I don't mean to give his name. I'll just say R. R from Wasco, California. Says Jim. And, of course, you're implied as well there. Quite often I hear you talking about the lizard people taking over the world as part of the Code Academy conspiracy and that Code Academy is in the process of training bots. No. That, <laughs> see, that no. is only the cover story. It's really the insectoids. And the masters of the insectoids are the bot flies. The bot flies are a real insect. They are training the bots. The bot flies lay their eggs on the reptilians, which then hatch. The larvae then burrow their way into the brains of the reptilians, forcing them to do the bidding of the bot flies. This actually happens with some species of wasps, and they become like remote-controlled creatures. That's what's going on. He goes on to say it's amazing what you can learn at a four-year institution, I mean university. So right. now we know it, Code Academy is training the bots. No, we don't know that because they're not. Well, we, we are suspecting it now. We highly. don't suspect and that because they don't. They're training the bots because... No, they're not. The, the, the insectoids and the masters of the insectoids <laughs> are training the bots. And then the bots will then take over the reptilians with eggs, which then the reptiles, the reptilian lizard people that are taking over the earth will be controlled by the bots. So, you know, folks, you know, again, you know, the if you want to be on the right side of history and if you want to be on the right side of being able to take care of your family during this trying time when the oh, end days come, my God. you've got to get smartened up by Code Academy because they're going to be the ones behind all of this. And right now, before the revolution, there's never been a better time to become a programmer and you can learn to code on your own terms with Code Academy. Because we're living in a fast-changing world. I mean, just as quick as a, as a reptile can shed its skin, the entire world order can change and the people running things. You don't want to be enslaved by ignorance. You don't want to be chained in the bowels of the ship of stupidity. No, you want to be smartened up with the leaders of the new world and they're being trained by the folks at Code Academy. Folks, you can learn coding languages, including Python. See, there's the clues. Hitomos. Sequel. <laughs> JavaScript. See, they got the forked tongues. That's where it comes from. The reptile speaks with a forked tongue. If you're not sure where to begin, Code Academy will point you in the right direction. Go live in that hole in the ground and toil night and day, and we'll tell you 
When you can come out into the sunlight again into the new world. That's that not how create. it works. That's not how it works. Code Academy, Code Academy will tell you only. They will. They won't tell you anything. They'll teach you these wonderful skills that you can apply in a wonderful ways to help humanity and civilization. Not to go underground and fight the insectoids or whatever it is you're talking about. You know, the song contest was a stretch and we made it work. I didn't know it was going to turn into science fiction fantasy hour. What the hell is this? The insectoids. You can get instant feedback from yeah. Code Academy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Such as, stop touching me. That's not the feedback. Your code is tested as soon as you submit it. And that way you're right there. So when they, when it, if it fails, they'll tell you and you'll do it again. And then if it's right, they'll tell you and make you do it that way ever, ever, ever after. You can build your portfolio, get a certificate of completion, make yourself marketable to future employers, land your dream job in web development, programming, computer science, data science, and tons more. Learn how to build cocoons out of human skin underneath the earth. Do all of these things and join the over 50 million people learning to code with Codecademy and see where coding can take you. And then when there's three suns in the, in the sky and, and it never gets dark, you'll have a new and a bright future at a career as soon as we repopulate the planet. And you can get 15% off your Codecademy Pro membership when you go to codecademy.com and use the promo code experience, that's promo code experience at codecademy.com to get 15% off Codecademy Pro, the best way to learn to code. Sing it along with me, folks. C-O-D-E-C-A-D-E-M-Y.com, promo code experience. It's Codecademy. And lizard people and bots. <laughs> there are no lizard people and bots. Your song may have redeemed the whole promo that is problematic. Ladies and gentlemen, try Codecademy. They're great. They're wonderful. You'll learn some skills, but Jim. Yes. Let's talk about another code, the Code of McMahon. And let's talk about SmackDown on Friday. Now, I thought the most interesting thing about SmackDown was that I chose to watch the Met game instead. <laughs> Did you watch SmackDown? <laughs> well, yes, I did. And that's why you had it fooled me there, because when you said the most interesting, interesting thing about SmackDown, I was trying to think back and think of an interesting thing on SmackDown. I will I will run through a few things briefly just to so we don't leave anybody hanging. But SmackDown's two hours, you know. The opening segment was a contract signing because those always go so well. With Adam Pierce, who, bless him, he keeps a straight face and he's well-spoken and has a grown-up adult male voice and looks good wearing a suit. And he somehow, he doesn't really get any on him in all of this. He he manages to, to stay, he's being serious about it. <laughs> he's doing what he's supposed to do, but you can tell he's just like, what the fuck? Anyway, so. He's in the ring with the table and the chairs. He introduces Charlotte, who, again, I don't know what it was with this weekend, but even Charlotte, who always comes out looking like Diana Ross, maybe Elton John, she came out wearing a designer hefty bag. I don't know what this suit was. And they recapped the previous week when she put the figure eight on the 
the new announcer, Gulag Archipelago. And then Pierce introduces Rhonda, and out she comes. She's happy. She is happy as a clam. She is smiling from ear to ear. And they're going to sign the contract, but Adam Pierce notices on the table there is no contract. And he kind of like, well, I see we have no contract. He's looking around, did that very well. Guess who came out with the contract? His new intern, Gulag Archipelago. Oh, come on. He's Adam Pierce's new intern now. So they didn't even bother to explain it i didn't hear it by saying that as a result of him threatening legal action for being assaulted by one of our athletes we're making him we're giving him an office job i did just he's the intern so he <laughs> I, I swear to god this is happening no i understand this is how luthez got to the top he started as a wrestler then he became yeah. an interviewer and then he became an intern well and also gulag has prepared a powerpoint presentation on the rules of an i quit match that he will show on the screen, but Charlotte shuts him up. Thankfully, we didn't see that. And Charlotte does a pretty decent promo about the I quit rules and how she's going to beat her and blah, 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 and she signs the contract. And then Rhonda mumbles a few words, and basically her point is no referee is going to save you, and she had about as much enthusiasm for that as she's had, or lack thereof, for most everything else. And then suddenly... Charlotte turns over the desk, or you've never seen that before, and she's supposed to have uh, allegedly planted a kendo stick under the desk, right? But when she turns the desk over, the desk lands on the kendo stick. So she's got to fucking get down there for a second, and she comes out with a kendo stick. And she swings at Rhonda, and Rhonda gets it and wears Charlotte out. And old Gulag comes up and stops Rhonda from assaulting Charlotte, and she grabs him and Piper's pits him. Piper pits him or Piper's pit? She gave him the Piper's pit move. <laughs> so many P's here. You know, the, the P6 principle. Poor pre-planning leads to piss-poor performance. But anyway, then after she gives him the Piper's pit move, she puts him, you know, the old Inoki arm breaker right of course okay she puts him in the arm it's a judo hold so she puts him in the arm breaker and while he's selling the arm breaker she's still got the contract and the pin in her hand and his arm wrapped up in her crotch and so she signs the contract while putting the the arm breaker on her on him so they made this funny so now they're two biggest female stars are going to have an I quit match on the next pay-per-view and they're doing funny silly fake business with a fucking announcer we've never even seen before so for that match that that. for that match does it have to be one of them that quits can we quit <laughs> I, I already have I already have I've, I can't believe in two months I'm done with Ronda Rousey what the fuck it's like she's boring now she's boring because she don't want to be there you can tell something's going on Got a Turner. Out of either either that or they have critiqued her into completely not knowing or giving a fuck what she's doing. I don't know. So continuing with SmackDown, Xavier with Kofi wrestled Seamus with Ridge and Butch. And then actually, guess what the best pro wrestling match was of 
not only Friday SmackDown and Friday Rampage, but last night's Raw. Oh, I have no idea if it was on SmackDown. Um, based on where you are in the show, it'd probably be, was it Nakamura? Nope. Okay, I don't know. The best pro wrestling match on all three of those shows because it was the only match that looked like a pro wrestling match featuring a pro wrestler with no stupid silly gaga was Valter versus Teddy Goods. I don't know who Teddy Goods is. Exactly. And it's so sad that Valter is like a space alien. He has landed here on this planet a fully formed, talented, main event professional wrestler that could have worked in any territory in the business over any age or period in it. And he's all alone. And he ain't got the fucking plutonium nitrate to power his ship to get back home. So he's stuck here. But if you want to watch a pro wrestler, watch Valter. Of course, they're calling him Gunther. But Teddy Goods is some fat fucking pasty-faced guy whose job was to get his ass kicked because they're trying to get Valter over. And from the time the bell rang and at the lockup, it was immediately obvious that Valter was the only pro wrestler that I'd seen exhibiting pro wrestling skills. Maybe there's some sports entertainers. But he would have been a massive star in any era. Bigger star than he is today because he's a wrestler and there aren't any anymore. But he kicked the shit out of this guy and beat him with a power bomb, And he manhandled him and his shit looked good and he looks mean and he looks serious. And it made sense. And this was the only real incidence of a pro wrestling match or somebody actually being better off image-wise getting over, as they say, at the end of it than they were at the beginning. They don't give a lot of guys wins over job guys. I hate to use that term, but that's what it is. And they've been doing it now with Gunther or Walter for the last few weeks. What does that tell you about how they see him and how they may intend to use him? And when you look at this roster here, you know, Roman Reigns is the top guy. Roman Reigns is a heel. Gunther has to be a heel. What do you think they're going to do with him? I hope continuing this because it's refreshing. Vince used to take six months to get a fucking guy over. Just put him on TV or every, every, the syndicated TV every two or three weeks, raw for a match every other week and a promo every other week or some bit of taped business and just get guys over. And that's what they should do with Walter. And apparently that's what they're going to do. And maybe because Vince every once in a while, the writers pitch shit that they think he'll like. But every once in a while, if he really likes somebody, he will say, let's cut to shit and just get him over and just give him wins and just let him beat people up. And this is the kind of guy that that gets over in that fashion. So it's a good sign. I would think it would be Vince over, because remember what they were doing with him, the creative team on NXT. And then when he first got the main roster, he's in a six-man tag and blah, blah, blah. I would like to think that Vince somewhere, there's still Vince McMahon somewhere in the in the brain fog. 
of his current age. And he said, no, we're going to make this fucking guy star and we're going to do it the old fashioned way that still works, especially because we ain't doing it anymore. That's what I'd like to think. But we'll see what happens. Maybe the writers will get sick of it in two or three weeks and have him wearing a goddamn ruby slippers and clicking his heels to go back to Austria. And you also miss Jay Uso versus Riddle, Brian. That's terrible. Because actually, I did too. After you put over RK Bro's tag team match last week, I thought, well, I'll watch, because I thought it was going to be a tag match coming up. I'll watch Riddle and Orton, right? And it turned out to be Riddle against Jey Uso, and I said, eh. And also, it lasted forever, and Riddle still annoys me. So he won. He converted a small, or converted a splash off the top rope into a small package. Have you ever seen that before? A splash off the top <laughs> rope to a downed opponent? Yes into a small pa- I'm not sure because if riddles down uso comes off the top riddle lifts his knees uso lands on the knees and rolls right over into a small package it didn't look real but it was nifty but it's you wouldn't actually that wouldn't happen that way if you actually were trying to do any of those things but it looked nifty i know you'll be just mortified you missed this. Sasha and Naomi did a promo in the ring and were interrupted by Natalia and Shayna. So that's just terrible you missed that. And then, guess what else you missed? Mosh Pit Jones versus Los Lotharios number one. And I will have you know that Happy Corbin beat up Mosh Pit and stole the Andre the Giant Battle Royal trophy. Just carried it right off with him. Let's see. Roman Reigns was in his locker room with the wise man and the Usos, and he's not happy about Uso losing. And then Heyman comes and says, well, you have a a guest, a visitor. Uh, Sami Zayn wants to see you. And honestly, this was worth watching for two minutes. It's not going to mean anything in the booking or the wrestling story, and nobody's going to care, but it was... Sami Zayn is a great little suck-up toady And he was well-spoken and got this whole sales pitch out about, you know, he he basically, he's stooging Drew McIntyre and RK Bro for talking behind Roman Reigns' back, and he's sucking up to Roman for help in beating Drew, and he'll in turn be a help to Roman somehow in return. Sami Zayn, again, good suck-up toady. But there you go. You also missed Lacey Evans again. This has been like four weeks in a row. How much tragedy and heartache and mistreatment. I know it's all true. And that's what the problem is. This is this is cringy telethon fundraising clip sad stuff. It's so fucking sad I want to quit watching the program. Because it's awkward and it makes you uncomfortable, as we've mentioned this. It's not, they are doing a biographical piece with comments from her and comments from other people and pictures and flown in as B-roll and a narrator telling some of the hard parts of the story so that then you can get a comment from her on it. And it's not like she's just standing out there 
being stood up against a wife. She even starts it with, okay, here we go again. Okay, okay, you want some more? Like they've just stood this poor girl up against a wall and said, tell us in your own words, every horrible thing that's ever happened to you in your life, and we're not going to edit it, and we're not going to fucking give you any assistance whatsoever. We're going to B-roll a couple of family pictures and otherwise just leave you twisting in the wind out there. One week would have been okay. Two weeks, maybe. Now people have got to be going, what the fuck, seriously? If this was such a sad story, why didn't they tell it before when she was out here with a fucking parasol wearing fucking Vivian Lee's hand downs in, from Gone with the Wind? It It's... <sighs> She's talking about living in trailers with holes and houses with mold and, again, her abusive father and et cetera, et cetera. I'm not saying don't tell the story. I'm saying don't make this poor girl go out there and just tell it all herself so awkwardly. And it just doesn't come off. I Brian, help me. How can I possibly verbally convey the discomfort of this whole thing that you feel for this girl have not for the experiences she went through but having to fucking do these promos i wasn't a fan of when paul Heyman had tammy sit down for that whole episode and spill her guts no that was ta- i was taking advantage of her back before she deserved to be taken advantage of quite honestly and with this you know it's part of her real life story but at a certain point She's over as a baby face just based off this now. I mean, how much more of this is there to go? I mean, but it's, it's I can't so... imagine there'll be a third week, right? Good Lord. One would hope not. What has this woman done in a previous life? Kicked an old gypsy? But the, I guess the thing I'm saying is, it. while even knowing that the story is true, although many people, it's on wrestling, may not even believe that. But it just seems so, what's the word I'm searching for? They're commercializing this. They are, instead of doing a a feel-good piece on how this woman has overcome these things, they're standing her out there like a fucking police lineup and making her say it to commercialize it to, it's for crass purposes. It's being done on, the way you feel about it is they're saying these things and doing this on purpose to jerk with my emotions instead of letting that naturally happen by doing a nice video package on it. And that's why I don't like it. Oh boy. And then he's a lumberjackle baby. A lumberjack match between Drew McIntyre and Sami Zayn. Guess what the finish of the lumberjack match was, Brian? Count out? No, actually not. But that was actually a trip, a trip, a trick question because there was no finish. But the way the match ended was Sami Zayn ran out of the building. <laughs> I, I mean, Sammy's fine. Drew's fine. I've never seen such fake-looking lumberjack fights on the floor. Probably none of these guys have ever been in a real lumberjack match. If they have, it's been a WWE lumberjack match where it probably turned out the same thing. They're supposed to just get into a big fight at the end and it all looks fake. But it was horrible. A lot of guys weren't even trying on the, like they don't think they're on television or in front of thousands of people. And 
when all the lumberjacks got in a fight, Sammy just hopped the rail and ran up into the bleachers. And he's about halfway up in the building, and Adam Pierce comes out and says, Okay, well, you've done that. He's going to let him get away with it. There wasn't, I didn't hear a bell. There was no de definitive finish. Pierce just comes out and says, Well, next week, it'll be a cage match. You won't be able to do that then. So they just accepted that Sami Zayn, if you get halfway up in the bleachers in a lumberjack match, you're allowed to escape unharmed. And then to give them some kind of something, Gender Mayhall and Spanky jump in the ring and beat up Drew McIntyre, but Drew comes back and gives Mayhall the kick and makes mean faces at Sami Zayn, and they're off the air. That was the main event. WWE, you're not going to see amateurish work in the ring. You're not going to see stupid, brainless, idiotic, physical risks with the, you know, well, you will, but not as egregiously as you do in AEW with furniture and just shit for no reason and the hardcore, goofy, garbage deathmatch shit. But they have also, on the flip side, the WWE made their matches completely meaningless and their finishes matter not. And the matches are a, a break in between the interminable entrances and the equally interminable dramatic monologues that are presented. So over in AEW, you're going to have in some cases really amateurish work and just stupid decision-making from goofs that, have come out of the indies that don't know how to take care of their bodies and they have no nobody in charge. And in the WWE, you're going to see quality professional work, but due to the creative and the way the whole thing is presented, it's boring because at least you're not watching somebody nearly kill themselves. All right. Yeah. Well, there it is, the uh, pride of the Fox Network, WWE SmackDown on Friday nights. <laughs> is that it? Is that all we have for reviews? Uh, well, there was Raw last night. Oh, boy. There was, there was, there, it's always Raw on Mondays. That's because of all the use it gets on Sundays. But nevertheless, Awful. we've still got to talk about some things. And and by the way, just since I know you're picky, if if you hear some background noise, uh, another gravel truck has just pulled up and is spewing gravel out of a chute on the back of it into the driveway area of this giant 17-car garage that my neighbor started last October and is still being constructified. So I can hear it, yeah. Disregard the giant uh, oncoming convoy of Jesus Christ, now I'm really hurt. With gravel and are now is driving through my fucking front wall. <laughs> what the hell? The whole house is shaking. This is a goddamn giant garage over here, I'll tell you that, that this guy's got built, but listen to this. He's <laughs> coming one right after another. It looks like the what was that? The Convoy. Die, the, no, the Die Hard movie where they were fucking stealing everything out of the Federal Reserve. It's just truck after truck. All right, go ahead. All right, well, before we get the truck out of here, let's talk about Monday Night Raw. <laughs> now, maybe I know you, maybe I don't, but as I was watching this show, 
and the Mets were on with Max Scherzer on the mound, and I was getting tired because I was watching Raw. I realized, I don't know if Jim's going to watch this whole thing, because I don't know how anybody could. Yeah. So I saw some of Raw. How much of Raw did you see? Too much. Um, I didn't see all of it, but the, I skipped parts on on purpose. But I did see the, the can we say, quote unquote, high points? I don't know if we could say that. Well, let's let the people be the judge. The people in the cult of Cornette, let's limp, let them, let's limp, let's limp them be the judge. You know, it was Randy Orton's 20th anniversary. He debuted on Raw 20 years ago at the end of April 2002, straight out of OVW. And look where he's gone from there. The same place. He's gone nowhere. He's been in the same place for 20 years. Poor fella. They did a great video for Randy Orton. Did you see that at the top of the the big celebration. I did see the top of the show. Yes. And then in, they had his best friend in the whole world. Riddle. NFI riddle or NFM riddle. No first name. Um, he's surrounded by what did they pick? Like I saw Bobby Lashley out there, but they never really focused on him. And otherwise it was just underneath guys that were around the ring for Randy's big celebration, but they were in Knoxville he was born in Knoxville. Bob Orton Jr. was working Southeastern Wrestling right before the big split in 79. That's when Randy was born, when he was there. I was going to say, what month was he born? Was it before the split or was it after the split? Because they were still in Knoxville. Good. Well, why don't you Google All right, hold on. Randy Orton's birth date, and then we'll know exactly who Bob Orton Jr. was working for at that time. Randy Orton was, according to this, he was born April 1st, 1980, so. Aha, so it was while Orton was with uh, the Poffos and ICW, because he stayed in Knoxville. He was already living there, and Eastern Kentucky wasn't that far, and then he was one of the first ones to, along with Roop, to bail out and go to Mid-South in 82, right? That's right. But anyway. uh, In 81. In 81. Almost 82. Almost 82. It was the one right before 82. <laughs> it was very close. <laughs> <sighs> I hate to be corrected. <sighs> anyway, Randy Orton did a really good real promo as himself with no mental issues or con- conflicts in his good or bad or evil side or whatever. He he was being himself and he thanked everybody and did a nice promo. And then Riddle introduced, of course, their... They're inextricably linked with each other. His best friend, Cody. So Cody could have the big entrance and come out and give the big hugs. I know we weren't watching a lot of WWE before Cody left in 2016, but did he and Orton have extensive interaction? I think when Cody first came up to the main roster, wasn't it Cody and DiBiase Jr. as a part of Orton's little group at the time? Ah, that may have been. So they get a, a you know a big uh, moment there, and then suddenly Seth Rollins is there in a green suit, and he interrupts the whole thing and said, "Don't trust him, Randy." And Seth comes in and does what Seth does, and he's swimming and swerving and laughing and cackling and whatever. And this kind of got hard to watch at this point. And then here comes Ezekiel. 
a.k.a. Elias, and he jumps in the ring with a microphone. I guess they've just got an endless supply of microphones. Since nobody's in charge of this from the promotion, it's just the talent being left to do what they want. So Seth is puzzled as to who Ezekiel is, and here comes Owens, and he's freaking out because he's now being driven to distraction over Ezekiel, calling himself Ezekiel instead of Elias, because everybody knows it's Elias, but nobody will admit it's Elias, and you see where this is going. And I said, I'm about to give up on this. <laughs> and then here came the Usos. and they're, It's 16 minutes into this segment, and here come the Usos. And, by, and then here comes Adam Pierce, and he makes an eight-man tag team match for later on tonight out of this bitch fest that they've been having with each other where it'll be Seth and Owens and the Usos against Orton and Riddle and Cody and Ezekiel Elias. He needs a new name. What? How can we join Elias and Ezekiel? Elikiel? Isaias? Anyway, so for the holy shit end of this moment Owens punches Elias and Orton RKO's Owens and everybody else either just stands around or leaves 18 minutes your thoughts yeah I mean <laughs> it's Monday Night Raw this is what they do it's like Vince McMahon Playhouse more than it's professional wrestling and it's people acting like children I will say to his credit Seth Rollins' character is starting to cross over into being so stupid that I'm entertained by it now. Because <laughs> now it's just preposterous. And you said there were different people at ringside. It was like 1980s WWE. It was so silly. They show over here. Here's this person in character. Here's Queen Zelina waving to the people. And then there's Seth Rollins just sitting there in his fucking suit. And he has a microphone for no good reason. And then he just gets to take over the segment. He's so ridiculous. And he's so committed to it. Look at how committed he is yeah. to being this buffoon. Oh, he needs to be committed. It's astounding. And it's crossed over now. Now it goes too long every time. But now there's a moment every one of his segments where I'm like, this guy's so fucking dumb. I love this. And then it goes on too long. Well, fortunately, we were able to make up some time in the air like an airplane pilot. Because the next bit of business... Bianca Belair, it's her hometown, Knoxville, Tennessee. The people are excited to see her, right? And she's going to take on Cruella DeVille, and they've been having this back and forth for the past couple of weeks, whatever, and Cruella's back in the ring now. So they start the match. They go less than a minute. They go to the floor, and Bianca throws Cruella over the announcer's desk. And she's counted out. What the fuck? But then Cruella gets mad. No, no, no. We're going to restart this. We're going to have a match with no count outs. So Bianca jumps back down and they have an awkward fight on the floor. And then Cruella hits Bianca with a chair and gets disqualified in a minute. And then... She is mad and restarts the thing with no disqualification and no count out. And here comes Zelina and Carmella, and they go to a break. And when they come back, 
they go, was it another two minutes? Maybe. With Zelina and Carmella just in the ring helping out willy-nilly at random because it's no DQ. Lazy booking. And then Bianca makes a comeback and beats her one, two, three. They had three matches in a combined total of a little over three minutes, not counting the commercial break. So that was, <laughs> that was a wonderful way to showcase Bianca Belair in her hometown with the hot crowd, didn't you think? I only saw a little bit of this and I was out. Again, as I said before, Max Scherzer was on the mound. I was going to go watch the Met game. But I was checking out a little bit of what was happening, and I was intrigued just by it being her hometown. That was actually one of the cool things, the fact that it was the town Randy Orton was born in was her hometown. I saw they had Kane backstage. I don't know if they ever brought him out because I was I was he never He never came out in good thing. People would probably be throwing rotten eggs at him now since he's <laughs> revealed his true colors. That's right. That's really all I could say. I didn't really see too much of this. I wasn't interested. As soon as I saw Sonya Deville, whatever it was, because she's been that lame authority figure, I don't know what she's been for a while. I just wasn't interested in this at all. It was, she hasn't even been a lame authority figure. It's, it's, it's an unbelievable authority. If she had been an authority figure and then suddenly, you know, had the problem with one person and, and tried to get by with jacking them around without being obvious about it and then finally gets found out and is re relinquishes her powers or whatever that but but it was just on and on she was actually doing both she was being obviously biased and unfair and heelish while still week after week after week holding that position it just it got a little yeah did you see edge and damian priest in the dark I did see this. This is ridiculous. But you know what? I'm it's the like House of Edge. Black. It's the House of Black. But it's better because Edge can talk. I'm telling you, Edge is doing a great fucking verbal job with this. His delivery, it may not be great material, but his delivery, he... <laughs> He knocked the current mayor of Knox County. He did a little Andy Kaufman Southern accent to mock the hillbillies. And, and you know, and there's plenty of hillbillies in East Tennessee because there's plenty of hills. I liked Edge's adaptation of this lame material. I'm just telling. What do you think happened? Legitimately, do you think he saw the House of Black and kind of wanted to do something similar? Do you think he had this idea in his head for a long time and he was getting ready to do it and all of a sudden the House of Black shows up and he's like, God damn it, I'm going to do it anyway. Probably the latter, because I can't see anybody seeing what the House of Black has done with the House of Black and thinking, I got to do this. So, and, and I mean, it's the Undertaker lighting colors. He's been in the edge on the dark side before with the brood. It's not a stretch. They didn't just take goddamn Shelton Benjamin and say, all of a sudden, you're a fucking malevolent, you know, occult force. Where are these segments? I mean, where does, when he calls Damien Priest in the morning and Damien says, hey, you know, what's the plan for the day? He goes, meet me in the dark studio. Like, yeah, <laughs> meet me in the dark. <laughs> where are they exactly? Well, it, it's <laughs> like, it's like, you know, all the great rock bands of the 60s and 70s rented these houses, either skinnered out in the swamp or the stones on the French Riviera or wherever where they can go and create. So they've got a dark room somewhere, probably after hours of a photography studio. Anyway, then uh, we had Beer Mayhan crippled another jobber. So that's good. And then 
MVP and almost were in the ring for an arm wrestling match with Bobby Lashley. I did see this too. Okay, first of all, MVP does a great promo, but Jesus Christ, he's not Merlin Magician. And they've given him, and I still don't know whether they are just trying to steal a pay-per-view off of almost, but no, they can't be because if they were building building him up to steal one, then right after the theft takes place, there's where you beat the guy convincingly and he's got to look unbeatable before that. Well, they've not only beaten this guy, but now they beat him arm wrestling. Uh, so I don't think they're trying to steal something with him. I think they just don't know what the fuck they're doing. They arm wrestled. It wasn't exciting. It wasn't tension-filled. There was no miraculous comeback by Bobby Lashley. Almost had a little bit of advantage, and then they were neutral, and then Bobby just... <laughs> he just beat him. He beat the giant arm wrestling. And I'm not saying that Bobby Lashley can't win an arm wrestling contest against any human. Look at him. but. For the purpose of this exercise, he beat him in a match that wasn't good. But then MVP comes out and the and MVP turns on Lashley and says, I made you and now I'm going to make almost. And so the excuse for almost losing that match was that he didn't have a manager to guide him. So now he's got a manager to guide him and Lashley beats him arm wrestling. But is there is there any type of contest or any type of matchup or any rules of anything that they can actually let almost win something just for the sake of? I'm not sure what they're doing with them. And then after Lashley wins, MVP starts to come up from behind him. And Lashley turns, and here comes almost. Did you see he didn't hit Lashley? I did see that, yep. He comes from behind like he's going to do the Vader smash in the corner where both of his arms are out to the side, and then they come in on the guy. But almost his body didn't hit Lashley, and his arms missed him, and Lashley sold it anyway. And then he ran Lashley into the table three or four times. And if you go back and watch the tape, when almost lays his hands on Lashley, it's like he's trying to figure out how to pick up a turd by the clean end. He's so green, he can't even figure out a way to grab his opponent or run him into something or whatever. And then he hit him with the table over and over, but not in a convincing fashion and blah. Closing thoughts. No, you summed it up. Okay, so our truth is now, last week he was certified to perform marriage ceremonies, now he's a certified couples counselor or something, and he was giving the two couples from last week's wedding bullshit some advice, who were Reggie and Dana and Tamina and Tazawa, and when I wrote that down, I said, where in the world are Solo, Comorato, and a go-go. They all three disappeared, didn't they? No, Cody made them stars. <laughs> That's why they're in the sky now instead of in the ring. 
If anybody has a milk carton that needs a picture, can we find Solo, Comrato, or Gogo? So then after this counseling segment, they had a tag team match, Playa, with Dana and Reggie against Tamina and Tazawa, and R-Truth was the referee. And the only thing that I got from this was that Reggie was dressed like a parking lot attendant for the Blue Man Group. And that was that. Did you see any of that? No, I missed all of that. Good, good, good. So Becky Lynch came to the ring for a promo, and she's on the verge of tears and a nervous breakdown. And she's missing her championship and her belt, and... (sighs) Here's another talent that has proven that they can talk. And has proven that, that they can have good matches and that people care about them. And she was g- given this scripted, dramatic performance that she has hit rock bottom and she was raving. But then she realized, wait, if I've hit rock bottom, I've got nowhere to go but up. And she's raving about her comeback. And just as I wrote, what the fuck is happening here? She's, instead of a pro wrestler, she's playing fucking the Betty Davis part and whatever happened to baby Jane. When suddenly music hits and here comes Oscar. Oscar's back. Oscar. That's what I said. No, you said Oscar. It's Oscar. Well, she's back. Yeah. And what it has to do with this goddamn situation we're currently involved in, I have no idea. But she interdances like Seth Rollins, only even more over the top. She's ticked out, tricked out in the whole kabuki outfit with the kabuki mask, the robe. She does the dancing and hopping, and then the ridiculously racist Vito Scotty Gilligan's Island Japanese soldier voice. All you 60s sitcom fans and Sherwood Schwartz's immediate family will just die laughing over that. And she made some constipation faces. And Becky ran off away from her. Are you seriously meaning to tell me that on one channel, we have Japanese wrestlers, male and female, either exposed for the fact that they have come from Japanese outlaw mud shows or they are in such horrible physical condition because of the stupid things that they do to their own bodies that they have to be handled like that they're, as I said before in the program, Fabergé eggs, or on the other channel, everybody, male and female of Japanese descent, has to be a ridiculous 60s sitcom version of Japanese people doing silliness and speaking in weird voices, I'm surprised they don't figure out a way, since birds fly to Riddle's ass, every time Asuka does a promo, the words and her lips ought to be five seconds off. But I'm the one that's racist because I don't like bad Japanese wrestlers. She's not a bad wrestler. She's a good wrestler. She's a good wrestler acting like... I agree with you. Can you imagine I agree with you about the way they're using her. I agree with you about the way they're using her. black, I don't care how great a wrestler she is. She's a great wrestler. It was black. 
and was acting in any type of those stereotypical ways that she is being portrayed as on this television for her Japanese heritage, would this program be on the air next week? No, people would be calling Vince McMahon a racist. Well, exactly. So, once again, who's the racist around here? The people that long for the days when Japanese wrestlers were the best in the world? Or the people that present them like fucking lunatics? Anyway, did I mention Becky ran off? Did you see any of that? No, I actually missed that. I wish I would have seen it. I like Asuka. Yeah. She's great. She's good. She's well, good. she didn't wrestle here. She didn't. She's good. No. Finn Balor versus Damian Priest. So apparently now Balor is on the shit list because theories beat him like a redheaded stepchild. Now it's Damian's turn. Again, this was nobody really cares. The WWE fans know the matches are just short breaks in between the dramatic readings. They started this match, they went one minute, and they went to a commercial break. How come they never go to commercial breaks during the interviews when we're all dying for a chance to piss? So they come back, and he gets, I think there was 15 seconds of heat on Finn Balor's scene, and then almost immediately Balor makes a comeback. They go back and forth. Priest hits a choke slam, and I think Balor was going to come off the top, and Edge was standing in the building. So that distracted him or whatever. And then he goes off, but Priest grabs him, choke slams him, pulls him up, and then gives him his finish. One, two, three. So he foils the babyface's forward momentum, hits him with a choke slam, and instead of going for a quick win there like you stole something, or any other kind of finish where you just don't beat a babyface flat, he hits him with a move. And while he's selling the move, he picks him up again and gives him a move. Now you beat him like a job guy. Flat as a plate full of piss. But at least Damian Priest went over. Did you see that? No, I was done with Raw by now. Okay, well, good. Then I'll, I will be here in a moment. There's Please. not much left. Miz TV with Theory. Where Miz asked, is he the Theory? And Theory said, no, Vincent, I've decided it's just Theory. And then they did some cute banter between the heels that the crowd wanted to death. And Theory has personality if he ever escapes the scripted material and cheesy WWE-style presentation. But this was really bad until Mustafa Ali entered. And then it got worse. I'm telling tell they're sitting there in the ring and suddenly music, and here comes Mustafa Ali, and this is... They are trying to portray this as a big deal. Like, are you, you're here? We thought you were gone. You're back. Where the fuck did he go? Did anybody care about him before he left? I can't even remember. We weren't watching much when he was there. Uh, kind of like what I wish the situation was now. Yeah. How long's it been then? But it's been a while. If you remember, he went on social media. He was a part of that retribution angle. And then he went on social media and asked for his release. And they said no. And now he's back. Ah, but then they eventually said yes. Or did they just say, no, we're not going to release you. And he's been sitting around for he's two years. He's been sitting around. I, well, oh not, not, not two years. I think maybe six months, seven months. But that's what they were alluding to with some of those comments in this, I, w I would assume. 
okay, why the fuck wouldn't they just let this guy go? Have you seen him? He's not as big as The Miz. He's fucking three inches shorter than The Miz, and he looks like he's fucking 22. Like every one of these kids. And he sounds like it. And he didn't come in there setting the world on fire. He didn't look particularly fucking menacing. He can speak well. It's just nothing about this got anybody interested in any of the people on this show. It, it didn't do anything for Miz, didn't do anything for Theory, didn't do anything for... Mustafa Ali wants a title shot against Theory. And Theory said no, and I was like, hurrah! Thank God we don't have to watch that. And this went on forever, and then finally Theory texted Vince and got Miz a match with Mustafa Ali. Next. And that's what they had. Miz versus Mustafa Ali. I wouldn't have watched this if he was wrestling Muhammad Ali by this point, right? But they went a little while, and Ali beat him <laughs> with a roll-up out of a figure four. So apparently now they're going to push him, push him, push him, and poor Miz is the fall guy. And then Ali wins and goes to the entranceway for his beauty shot like every big babyface winner of a match does, and Champa comes from behind and just fucking knocks him out with one shot from behind and stands over him. So Mustafa Ali was back and over for six minutes. And now he's down at Champa's feet. I, and Champa, by the way, is now just Champa, no Tommaso. I guess that's probably because Vince couldn't remember whether it was two M's and one S or two or one M and two S's. It's because Vince couldn't own it. <sighs> okay. Was that it? Was that the end of the show? Thankful, hopefully. No, 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 no. Why are you watching the show? Real quickly, because it was getting worse, and I just had to make mention of it. Rhea Ripley came up next, though. I'm okay. I'm watching Rhea Ripley. I just paused it, turned the sound off, and the show got better. And she tried to do a promo about turning on Liv Morgan, and she had started a good one about her partners being the one that made her look weak. And now she's done with that. What we've wanted, she was not allowed. This is a backstage pre-tape with the girl interviewer. She wasn't allowed to look at the camera because of their weird, bizarre mandate that even though there's nobody else around and there's a TV camera in your face, you're not supposed to look at it. So since that is the, the rule there, she looked awkward trying to stare up over the camera in front of her and look off like she was in a trance and still say this stuff. So if she was looking directly into the camera, eye to eye with the viewers and meant what she said, they would feel it. But instead, you know what, you know what Vince said 25 years ago? He said, it makes it look fake when they're looking at the camera. Let that sink in for a second. Vince McMahon, the person who's in charge of this program, actually thought that looking in the camera when it was in front of you made it look fake. Why do you think he thought that? I don't know. I have no idea because he could never explain it. Like the thing with belt or the thing with hospital, medical facility, or all these other things. Somehow... It's like when Shitstain used to pitch him, we need to do reality television, and then everything that he did bore no resemblance to any Earth's reality. 
When I pitched, I pitched, when I first went up there, I pitched Vince. You know what reality TVs looks like right now? Cops filmed on location with one camera as real shit's actually really happening. That's what reality TV show is in relation to what wrestling should be shot as, not reality TV show like Jerry Springer or goddamn Hogan Knows Best. There's nothing real about that reality television. That's what he was going for because of shit stain. Anyway, so Rhea Ripley is doing the promo. It would be good if she was looking at the camera, but before she really gets much out, Liv Morgan jumps her, and we've got another girl's pull-apart in the backstage area on another fucking wrestling program. So that started promising and ended like shit. But you know we got a main event to go, Brian. And you know that main event? Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. The Big Eight Man. Big. It was signed earlier. Yeah. Cody got the first entrance. 30 minutes left on the program. Cody is making his entrance for the main event. And I'm thinking, okay, after all this other shit, maybe they're at least going to give us some wrestling tonight. After they went to a commercial break, came back, showed some VTRs, did an announcer billboard, and the rest of the entrances, everybody got in the ring. By the way, Riddle had rabbits fly out of his ass for Easter instead of birds. I'm not shitting you. <laughs> I was about to say, what are you joking? No, I'm not. It would be funnier if I was joking. It was rabbits came out of his ass for Easter. And they were all different kinds of colors, too. So everybody got in the ring. Now they've got 20 minutes left. Guess what they did? I don't know. What? They went to another break. Oh, God. So the entrances for this match started with 30 minutes left on the air. And by the time that they came back from the break and started the match, there was a little over half of that left on the air and they started doing some shit and I got distracted and I forgot to watch it. And finally, since it's Randy Orton's 20th anniversary and the celebration was about him, he made a bench clear and comeback, fucking gave everybody a suplex on the fucking desk, RKO'd everybody else and beat one of the fucking Usos. And then they had replays and the baby faces celebrating in the ring for the last two minutes because they didn't use all their time. So it was certainly not a riotous Mid-South wrestling close with chaos reigning, the announcer screaming, the bell ringing, and the fans on the verge of climbing the rail and getting involved. But at least it was over. And they did the right thing for Orton by making him the center of attention, and somebody just tweeted, as a matter of AEW botches tweeted, a clip of the way that AEW treated Jericho's 30th anniversary on their TV versus Orton's 20th anniversary. Orton gave every move that he knew to every, four guys, beat everybody, and looked like a superstar, <laughs> and Jericho wrestled Dr. Luther, and they fell on each other for 15 minutes. Gassed out. So it was quite a difference in celebration. That was raw there, fella. It certainly was. And maybe some of the listeners, Jim, are feeling the way I am right now. Wow, this was way more reviews than we needed. This is ridiculous. What's Cornette trying to do to us? Maybe they're thinking of possible litigation. 
You don't think they're going to start a class action suit against us for telling them too many details about WWE programming, do you? Well, with you, it could be a no-class suit. Well, that's right. Well, folks, I'll tell you, if you feel the need to file a no-class lawsuit against us, I know exactly who you can call a man, a myth, a legend who is responsible for, well, let me just ask you this, Brian Last, what are the most oft-repeated words in conjunction with our favorite attorney? What are they? I'll tell you what they are. Judgment for the plaintiff. Who is that I'm talking about, you say? Who? I hit it too early. Sorry, Jim. Let's try it again. This man. Who? 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 Call Stephen P. the rest yes and he won't jump the gun either like some people do you know a lot of people are saying well what are the statistics jim Cornette? can you prove that stephen p new at newlawoffice.com 888-692-8084 can you prove what you say about this man well let me just direct you to the aforementioned website let me just direct you to the details, where do you know, Brian, you may not even been aware of this, since 1998, when Stephen P. knew after he was born in a small log cabin on the outskirts of Beckley, West Virginia, had grown up and educated himself and gone into the legal profession since then, this office, this man, this myth, this legend, this crusader for right and justice His office has won over $42,300,000 in personal injury and wrongful death case settlements in the aforementioned 24 years. And at the same time, concurrently even, $33,700,000 won in judgments in employment and wrongful termination and or product liability cases. That is a total... One, two, seven, 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 five. 76 million bucks just in those cases that have gone to the innocent victims of this horrible misrepresentation and, and, and et cetera that they've been victims to, thanks to Stephen P. New and NewLawOffice.com. And did you know, by the way, Brian, did you know that they have many areas of practice? Personal injury, sexual assault, wrongful death, sometimes even a rightful death. Even if the guy deserved it, you can still get a judgment. Employment, wrongful termination, workplace injury. And and I'll tell you what, the employment cases. Now, wrongful termination is one thing, but when he can get you paid just because somebody was stupid enough to give you a job, that's a great lawyer. And by the way, folks, around the West Virginia area, and their, their, their neighborhood attorneys, even though West Virginia is a big place, their neighborhood attorneys, they like to help the people. That's why they're philanthropic for their fellow West Virginians with scholarships and humanitarian projects and causes, local charities feeding the poor, bike helmets for children, 
all of this and more. They sponsor local sports, the arts. It's an amazing bunch of people there at New Law Office. You got to be a part of it. If you have any problems or issues, 888-692-8084, newlawoffice.com. Stephen Peter, I mean, they're they're going to really anoint him, Brian. Soon I have is West Virginia, are they allowed to to crown saints? I know they, well, they I mean, do that they do that over at the Vatican, but can right. we do it over here? Can we make a I'm thinking Saint Stephen the first. Saint Stephen, that's a Grateful Dead song. Yeah, well, there you go, and he can play that when he comes out. <laughs> really? That, oh, you know, that's a great idea. I like this. I'm liking yeah. this more and more. Where he comes out where? In court? Well, yeah. They can play a theme they, song in know, court. They, they fucking, the judge brings the gavel in, court's now in session, and then they play the entrance music for the attorneys that he could use St. Stephen for his entrance music if the state of West Virginia is allowed to go ahead and nominate and or crown or coronate or how do you, what, what would that uh, process be where you make someone a saint? On my- the coronation of St. Stephen. I guess so. Newlawoffice.com, 888-692-8084. Coronate a king and a queen. I don't know if they coronate a saint. Well, you, you crown a king in checkers. You coronate a king and... <laughs> All right, well, if you're going to bring checkers into this, I wasn't My mother used that. to crown me every now and then if I got out of hand. Did she use a weapon or she use her limp hand like Eddie Kingston? Uh, well, no, I wish she'd <laughs> used her limp hand like Eddie Kingston. She used to use a flyswatter sometimes. That wasn't fucking fun. I'll tell you what. All right, well, let's get away from Mommy Dearest and let's uh, get to some questions here. No wire hangers. No wire hangers, thankfully. We have uh, some audio here. I don't know how aware of this you would be. Audio? I've heard of it. Apparently, Brooke Hogan was interviewed by someone. I'm not sure who this man is. I'd like to give him credit. But uh, let me play this. We'll talk about it on the other side. Here's Brooke Hogan being interviewed. It's funny because I was talking to, uh, I talking to uh, Brittany Page, actually, Diamond Dallas Page's daughter. Right. And, you know, we were like, why isn't there a wrestling union? Why? And I took, gave it a Google, and I don't really want to dive into that. But Well, I think um, there's one reason, isn't there? There's one reason. And his name is? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> um, I have no idea who you're talking about. But okay. No, I just, you know, it's, it's funny. Because- well, let me stop it then. Oh, my God, do you think she doesn't know? She doesn't know. Again, for those of you wondering, and we'll get your thoughts on this, when Jesse Ventura sued Titan Sports, Vince McMahon admitted under oath that Hulk Hogan was the one who, as the wrestlers would say, stooged him off Yes, to the office before WrestleMania II, ruining any chance of a potential wrestling union. Yes, because Ventura had gone to pretty much the entire locker room, and this was the, the chance, if ever there was one. He told everybody his stance was, that Vince has got so much money, so much promotion wrapped up in this, the big show, it'll ruin him if it doesn't come off. This is a, the only time we've ever had leverage. It's now or never. We all need to say we're all going to walk out in mass unless he gives us a union and bargaining and all that stuff. <laughs> and fucking Hogan immediately ran right back and stooged the whole thing off and... Vince was warned and was able to subvert that uh, that effort. And that's when Jesse and he started getting on the outs. And then finally, not long afterwards, that was the end of that. But Hogan, under oath testimony, was the stooge because he was the one, the one guy 
that was going to be the star regardless, the one guy that didn't need the union, the one guy that he knew the company was going to be built around him, and he figured if any of these other guys fuck this up, it'll be bad for me even if it's good for them, and off he goes. So, yeah, then Brooke Hogan... Just, yeah, I think we should have a union. And I, I'm like you, that guy needs some credit to yeah. say that to, well, there's no union in wrestling because of one guy. You know who he is. <laughs> who? You're, You're fucking father before you were born, you goofy twat. He gives her a look, too, when she says this should be a union. He looks at her like, what? You know? <laughs> oh, there it is, the thoughts of Brooke Hogan on the unionization of professional wrestlers. Let's get another question. Hey, here. I wonder I wonder what Lacey Von Erich thinks about it. <laughs> Maybe we can get them all together, get a panel get discussion. Get them all together. Yeah, have a, have a round table. All right. Well, here, let's get a little more serious with this next one. Several people sent this in a couple weeks ago, I think, or about 10 days ago. And it's not a unique story nowadays, but this was public. Jim, did you see recent tweets by Liv Morgan about, I guess we could say, fan impersonations? Oh, actually, I saw a story, including one of her tweets. I, I honestly don't follow Liv on Twitter. I hate that, uh, you know, I just don't have time. I would otherwise. But uh, but apparently, she tweeted, do not give me any money to the fans. Do not believe it is me. Somebody has been going around impersonating her and asking fans for money. And did I hear one guy either sold his house or lost his house or mortgaged it or did something to give the supposed Liv Morgan money and it's not really her? Give me the details. Well, here are the two tweets from April 16th. Liv Morgan on Twitter at Ya Only Live Once. <laughs> Guys, I've been sent so many emails of horror stories about people making fake accounts and emails pretending to be me and asking for huge amounts of money. This really makes me so sad. Please don't use my name to con people out of their hard-earned money. Please, please, please. A man sold his home and <laughs> lost everything, thinking he was helping, quote-unquote, me. This has me so sick. Please know I would never reach out to ask any of you for a single penny. I'm so sad. Please stop. And I could see why that would make her really upset. That's a horrible thing to be hit with, the idea that some guy may have lost everything thinking he was helping you. Okay, but let me play devil's advocate for a second. I would be way more upset about a guy that lost $200 because he thought he was getting an autographed pair of boots or a tights or something or whatever. Who is literally going to sell their house and lose everything to send it to a celebrity that they've never met in person that is obviously not doing that bad or elsewise they wouldn't be on fucking television currently. If there's something going on, but that's one of those people that actually does believe that the $35 million from Indira Gandhi is going to be bestowed upon you through this international bank transfer if you just send us your information. And I've... So uh, that needs to be a criminal prosecution, doesn't it? And if Liv Morgan knows about this, 
and knows it to be factual, then doesn't she need to contribute whatever knowledge she has to the police? Or is she just going to say, oh, sorry, pal. It wasn't me. I really feel bad for you. Are they going to find this fucking guy? I got to figure that's already all in progress right now. I'm sure she's spoken to the authorities. Yeah. Well, then I would have put that in. Hey, you no good gum bumping sacks of snake feces. You're going to goddamn impersonate me and you're going to fucking steal money from people. Well, let me tell you something. We've already got the cops on your ass and we're going to fucking put you under the jail instead of, oh, please don't do this. But again, regardless of who it is, you see sometimes you've seen the horror stories of some of people in the wrestling business who maybe, you know, don't have a spot anymore or are whatever their personal issues are. And they're trying to sell shit online to people. And they, sometimes that doesn't work out well, that's horrible. And that's bullshit. But when you're obviously looking at someone that's on a weekly recurring role in a television show, and they've just picked you that they've never met before to tell you that they have money problems or health or any kind of problem and need your help. How stupid do you have to fucking be? And and how could that really... How do people with that little sense get that much money? So I'm not taking up for the, the con man here, but I'm saying, Jesus Christ, I can understand losing a few hundred dollars or even a couple of grand in some kind of merchandise scheme or whatever, but, oh, I'll just sell my house. Liv needs it more than I do. I think that guy needs a fucking extended stay somewhere and be closely watched. All right. Well, let's get another question here on the show. This one, Jim, sent to CourtneyDriveThru at gmail.com. Uh, there is no name attached to this email. A re- one of those, eh? One of those. A recent article came out detailing how Randy Orton was responsible for overturning a long-standing policy in WWE prohibiting marijuana usage. <laughs> Apparently, talent are now allowed to smoke weed without being fined, and current wrestlers like Riddle are even portraying stoners on TV. I wanted to get your thoughts on this. Is this a good move by the WWE? Also, the article mentions, it's an article from Sports Skeeta that he's referencing. It mentions Bret Hart pushed back against the weed ban as far as the 90s. Do you remember hearing about this during your time there? Um, that I do not remember hearing that Bret specifically, well, I mean, if we were going to sit down with Vince and you know, say, okay, here are all the wrestlers that are in favor of the fine for smoking marijuana. It wouldn't have taken long to read that list. If we were to say, here's all the people that are opposed to this rule, we'd have been there all day. We already knew that. So it's not like, you know, we were saying, hey, hey, Vince, Brett's against this now. You better reconsider because nobody, it was so stupid to begin with, especially when at that early time in the early nineties, you still had guys pain pills were a big fucking thing. And is it better for your talent to be out after a show in public, in a bar on the highways, in a restaurant, wherever drinking or stoned? 
Is it better for your talent to be out anywhere doing anything on cocaine or just stone? Is it better for them to get a dependency on pain pills or alcohol because they have to do something because the, their bodies are beat up, especially before they changed the rings, made them a little softer? So it's always been stupid. There's no way that you can correlate any damage, problem, addiction, behavioral issue to marijuana that you can to alcohol or any type of prescription pain pills or any type of prescription uppers, downers, as they say, any type of prescription medication being misused is much more dangerous. Alcohol is more dangerous. Steroids, not even the same thing. They were going to do that regardless. And, it's, and, and so I'm sure that Orton, after ha- gaining some cachet with his name and pull and being a multi-generational star and not being afraid to say some things to people, has probably gone in on a number of cases and gone, what the fuck are you doing? Because for a while they called it the Orton fine, didn't they? Because it, it, I mean, I admire people who say, look, I'm doing something that doesn't affect anything about my job, so leave me the fuck alone. But now if I hadn't heard, actually, that they dropped fining guys. They stopped suspending them, but they'd fine them, $2,500 or whatever it was. If they've stopped that, I'm glad. Of course, now these guys, they probably wouldn't be on a lot of pain pills anyway. I, I bet you they, they don't drink a lot because it's up past their bedtime to be out at a bar, the new kids. But it would probably have been a benefit more to the guys back 20, 25 years ago, that uh, would save them a lot of grief in other other ways. So I'm glad that if that has happened. But, you know, uh, again, at this point, how can they continue to say, well, we're going to fine you, you know, X amount of money for doing something that in some case, depending on where you live, is not only legal, but you have a prescription from your doctor to do it. But we're going to fine you for doing it because that's how stupid the United States of America is in general and all the people in it, to be quite honest with you. I've mentioned this before. It's fucking lunatic fucking gun laws. If I'm not wearing a seatbelt, a policeman can pull me off the side of the interstate, write me a ticket, make me pay a fine because I'm endangering myself. But at the same time, next to the side of the interstate where I'm pulled over, there can be a flea market where some asshole's selling fucking rifles out of the trunk of his car and that same policeman will walk over there and help an old lady carry that fucking AK-47 to her car and put it in her trunk. Then that same policeman will go down the street and pull over some teenager with weed in his car and send him to prison for 10 years. But if they went five miles further up the road, and crossed over into the next state, then if somebody stole that fucking kid's weed, he could call the cop, and the cop would have to go and fucking chase that guy down and bring it back to him. So fuck all of you! Otherwise than that, that's my opinion. All right, and if it is indeed true, it is progress from WWE in the positive direction, but Jim, let's get another question here. This one... Sent to corny drive through at gmail.com is from a wrestler requesting anonymity. 
Recently, I was told by someone... Hey, depending on what company he's working for, he's probably already got it. Recently, I was told by someone that the art of calling a match on the fly is bullshit. That it doesn't exist anymore. What? Personally, I disagree for many reasons and think it is an important part of what we do today. I'm curious where you stand on this, Jim, and your thoughts on today's wrestlers being able to call a match on the fly. Is it bullshit and pointless to learn nowadays? I don't even know what to say. What moron masquerading as a pro wrestler is this guy talking to that he would hear that statement uttered from somebody that calls himself a wrestler? Oh, it's bullshit to call it in the ring. That's, oh God, is that, is that how far that we've come that guys now don't even recognize when they have become good and experienced and qualified at their craft? That's what they do. Is it just that nobody's good enough anymore to do that? And so people think, well, this is not something we should do because it doesn't work out because they don't know how to do it. Fuck, besides television, yes, in television, especially with limited time constraints, you got to be boom, boom, boom and get your stuff in and you're in, in the time you have or you've got to make sure that you hit certain parameters if there's a camera shot of something that needs to go on, whatever the fuck, there's a little more preparation. But you're not always going to be on television. Most wrestlers may not ever be on television. You got to go out in the buildings in a house show or a spot show or a live event. And you mean to tell me that these guys are going to sit down for a fucking live event in front of 500 people and not only talk about shit and go over shit and plan shit for what they're going to, a match in front of 500 or 1,000 people, that they're going to spend hours over that, but also they're going to take the chance of, well, maybe those 500 or 1,000 people might not like what we worked out, and we're going to have to change up in midstream. But they're going to put that much time and effort into a spot show match or a regular live event match in front of hardly any people instead of going out and just working and knowing what to do and being a qualified enough professional that you can do 12 or 15 minutes without having to sit down and talk about it for hours? I mean, I know I've I've said this before. It used to... The whole time thing has been inverted. I've seen Flair and Steamboat talk for 90 seconds and work for 45 minutes. Now you see guys talk for 45 minutes to work for 90 seconds. It, it, so no, I, I, don't, I don't know what maniac he's talking to, but no, the, that's like saying, I'd, you know, I'm a good enough doctor right now. If I never learn how to do surgery and I don't actually graduate and get the the diploma, I can still cure colds and fucking bunions. But but no, unless if you're a wrestler that can't call a match with anybody you work with in the ring from start to finish after having never spoken to them or sometimes even met them, then you got work to do, son. That's all it is. You're just not good enough yet. When you're training guys, especially when I get OVW, you had house shows, you had places to send guys. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like a silly question. Is there a way to teach guys how to read the room and how to go with the room? And are there guys that just can never do it? Well, 
the the way that guys learn how to read the room is when they're out there in that room and that room doesn't give a shit that they're there. And hopefully they're in with somebody else is okay. Why don't we try this? Because if you're just with two green guys, they're going to do what they planned and you know, it's going to either suck or it's not. But if one guy's green, but one guy's got a little bit more experience and he starts chiming in and then they switch up something or sometimes you just do something by accident and it gets a response then it's just repetition and experience and being in the ring with guys that know more. And that's how you, it's not like, yeah, you can critique a match afterwards and you go, well, you should have fired up more here. Or Don't die when you sell or the, this and that and the other thing, but it's actually doing it. And more importantly, doing it with somebody on top of you at the time that can tell you how to do it better. That's why it's so important for, younger guys being pushed not to be working with guys of the same age and experience level, but being able to work with ex more experienced guys, even if they're lesser names. If, if you've got a guy that's been in the business 15 years, but he's never really been anywhere, that's kind of guy you want on television putting over the younger guys that you've got that have a great upside and need to be helped to the next level because they know at least what they're doing. They just didn't make it as stars themselves. That's why they called them carpenter, because they'll build your house. Any jackass can kick a barn down, but it takes carpenter to build one. So, I, so again, I don't know what the... I mean, this guy's probably talking to one of the indie-rific, you know, clowns that thinks that, well, that's what those guys did back in those days when a lot of people watched this shit and... Everybody made money by earning it instead of getting a guaranteed contract from a billionaire. We don't want to go back to those days. Let me ask you this, though, because there are a lot of matches that you can watch in AEW, and you can maybe tell that a lot of this was thought out in advance, pre-planned, pre-thought out, preconceived, I guess we should say. Where is the line? You know, Eddie Graham used to give guys really long, intricate finishes, so obviously they're not calling anything there. You're just doing what you're told. Where do you think is the line in terms of what you should call and what you should plan out in advance. Well, but either, see, here's either a booker okay. telling you or you and your opponent talking. Well, here's one thing. Um, when Eddie Graham gave involved finishes, that was the moves and things he wanted done to plant the seed in the fans' minds of how that the stipulation at the show next week will subvert any effort that the heel makes to cheat like he did this week or whatever but he wasn't telling the guys how to perform those finishes. When you're making a comeback and you're drop kicking or you're doing this or that or whatever, your body language and your facials tells whether you're feeling triumphant or you're feeling excited or whether you're fighting from underneath or whether it's a last ditch effort or you've gotten your second wind, or whether the people are going to be with you or not. And it, 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 those were the things, the intangibles, that the top stars that Eddie Graham booked would perform while they were doing his finishes. And the reason why the, that they were able to perform them that way was because he booked guys that knew how to do that shit. That's why the Florida talent was some of the best in the world, because even though it wasn't the biggest territory, it's a great place to live and you could make good money, but you could work for Eddie Graham and learn from a genius. But he also looked for guys that had the potential to be stars and had the 
the intangible that made fans want to watch him. That's why he produced Dusty Rhodes and Jack Briscoe and, and aided in Bill Watts and Kevin Sullivan, so many other blah, blah, blah. But again, the booker does not determine the match. I see a lot of fans saying, well, they booked that match poorly for him to do a two-minute headlock. Well, the booker didn't know they were going to do a headlock at all. The booker gives you the finish, maybe a spot or two in the match that needs to correlate to the finish or make sense in the end. And then it's like a football coach and players. You let the players run the play, as Dutch Mantel would say. So how that match got to the point where the booker could take over and tell them how to finish it to bring people back, and whether it was good or not, that was up to the wrestlers. And then having said those two things, you say the line, <sighs> there is no line in terms of how much that the booker should tell the wrestler to do in the match or how much the wrestler should have called to do it on his own because it depends on every single match and personality and predicament and situation is different. But I guess above all, the booker is in charge of the, the tone of everything and the flavor of everything. And he needs to know not to have every match look the same or elsewise the people get burnt out. He needs to know to start off with the wrestling and end with the violence. He needs to know the the basic structure of everything and how everybody's going to fit in in his universe. Are you opening match? Are you middle card? Are you top guy? How should this guy sell for you? He should sell for you different depending on how I'm booking you. Things like that. And then you give the guys the the, the scoop, the poop, the plays, and let them run it. And it's a combined effort. Did I answer all of your questions? That was about a 16-parter. I think so. And as I said before, some of the matches we see, it's not a surprising thing to hear that they're not calling the matches in the ring and listening to the room that they have a pre-planned match you're going to the ring with. And, and that's, you know, sometimes that's great. And sometimes it stinks. We've also said many times, and, and everybody's been in the wrestling business or been a wrestling fan for years and has gone to different areas knows this, crowds are different. Fans are different. In the territories, they were taught to accept different styles of product, depending on what their local promotion was, but some cases, even then, in the territory. Some towns, they Harlan, Kentucky, didn't want to see the babyface shine worth shit. You could shine the baby face all night, the Rock and Roll Express, whatever. They'd sit on their hands. Soon as you took over and got the heat, then they got into the match because they wanted to be mad. They wanted to yell. They wanted to cuss at somebody. And then the more heat you got, the more they'd get into it. And then if you could get by with not getting somebody in the ring with a fucking knife, when the baby face blew their comeback, then they were out of the control because now... There's a reason for them to cheer the baby face beating the heel up. They just, we just made them mad 10 minutes ago. Other places, they wanted to see the fucking baby faces already just run roughshod through the heels. They wanted to see the shine like crazy. And it, it, it was just different towns had different crowds and different things that they liked. And if you couldn't shorten up one thing, lengthen another thing, adapt, whatever, 
just say, you know, fuck, these people don't want to see this shit, so let's fucking get to the meat of the matter and get out of here so as let the other guys have a chance later on, whatever the case. A lot of towns were different, and now guys just figure, well, this will be a good match in my head, but they haven't asked the people that have to watch it whether it's going to be any good. All right, Jim, our next question sent on Twitter using the hashtag corny drive through from Bronco Bronson. <laughs> what did Jim think of the alpha male Monty Brown during their few months working together in TNA in 2006? I thought he, I haven't thought of him in ages. I thought he had a ton of potential. Uh, I believe, did he not play football in the NFL for a while? That sounds right. I don't recall. Sounds that. about right. He was green, but he had um, a lot of oomph to him. He was big, looked great physically. He he did the pounce thing, right? That was the first yeah. person to do the body block where they just fly away. Um, And honestly, they were going to use him. As I recall, that was when I first got to TNA and he didn't last long. They were going to use him fairly well, but something happened. Oh, God. Well, in his personal life, I believe he ended up in charge of or in custody of or having to care for a couple of his kids. And well, actually, and, I'm, and I may be wrong. I don't even think they were his kids. I want to say something happened to his sister. That might be it. And he took care of her kids. Because remember, he went to WWE. They gave him a stupid name. It was like Marquis Corvan. He was on WrestleMania and then he was gone. Yeah, it, I think that basically, and that's why I guess we haven't seen him since, is that something happened. He had to uh, adopt or or take care of or start taking care of uh, underage kids from his family, and he couldn't be on the road, and he had to get out of the business. So that, but so I, you know, really didn't have that much interaction with him. It was just first few tapings, I guess that, you know, we were together. He was very good and, and seemed like he enjoyed the wrestling business, but then that happened. He took some time off. I think he had, at one point he tried to come back, but it just, it didn't work. All right, Jim, our next one here also sent on Twitter using the hashtag corny drive through from G. He sent an article from, is his last name whiz or Willikers? <laughs> G sent a, Article from the Sportster, wanted to get your thoughts. 10 mistakes AEW has already made in 2022. Okay, so they just boiled it down to the top 10 rather than doing a complete list. That's right. Already made. It is about to be May, so I don't know if already still applies here, but number 10, the start of Thunder Rose's AEW women's title reign. Thunder Rose's title victory was a long time coming with a huge win over Britt Baker in a steel cage match. Following on from their classic following on from their classic last year, it does say. Baker's reign had run its course, and now it was time for a change. However, after an emotional victory, AEW began Rose's reign with an interrupted promo segment being ambushed by Nyla Rose. Whilst her talents have never been in question, Nyla Rose has spent a lot of time challenging for the women's title and to kick off a brand new reign with the same old hurdles, especially, especially with how blandly it was built, has stunted Rose's momentum. Well, besides that, everybody's already seen Thunder Rosa bouncing around for a 98-pound Japanese middle schooler, and she's been beaten like a drum. Nyla Rose. 
Nyla Rose, yes. Remember, um, goddamn, what was Rio? Rio, Rio. Couldn't call it. Thank God, it's, 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 I finally was able to forget. And then you reminded me again. Rio beat her like a drum. It's been years. She's been non-effective in any way. So yeah, and then Thunder Rosa wins the title, gets jumped by Nyla Rose. They have a, otherwise. Have we seen the new women's champion besides in that one match over the last couple of months? She, uh, she was doing something recently, but let's get to number yeah. nine here on the list of the mistakes AEW has made this year already. The Sammy Guevara and Ty Conti on-screen relationship. During his time with the Inner Circle, and subsequently his TNT title reign, Guevara was getting hugely over with the audience. However, when his real-life relationship with Ty Conti was brought on screen, he has lost a lot of fans. That is how that sentence is, sentence is written. <laughs> this has led to what looks to be a forced heel turn due to the crowd's reactions, which is certainly a shame, considering how popular both Guevara and Conti were as babyfaces. A heel turn will work, but their entire feud with Dan Lambert has felt awkward. <laughs> We've been talking about this. I mean, as everybody's noticed, and... Sammy shot himself in the foot with his girlfriend, putting her with him on camera on television. If he'd have stuck with the one that he proposed to, then, you know, she was A, as we've mentioned, non, non-threatening. She wasn't a heel personality on the, on the television or a personality on the television at all. And, you know, it, it, he he looked like a nice guy with a nice girlfriend. Now he looks like he's lost his head and become a celebrity. And he's got that natural heat getting fucking slappable face to begin with. And now he's walking around with, you know, Miss Bitch face that could get heat in an ice flow. And they're, you know, doing the fucking tonguey turtle thing with each other. So, yes, of course, people despise him. They want to throw rocks at him. But. You would have done this on purpose to turn heel like that. You would have done this on purpose if you wanted to be a heel, but I'm not sure. I still don't think that any of them were smart enough to realize what he was doing to himself until they'd already done it. Number eight, inconsistent booking. What the fuck is that? That's another goddamn gravel truck. Oh, I couldn't. I thought that was on my side. Holy shit. (laughs) Number eight, inconsistent booking for some wrestlers. With AEW's <laughs> roster size, it allows them to have a sort of conveyor belt system. I can't hear you, bro. <laughs> it, <laughs> with AEW's roster size, it allows them to have a sort of conveyor belt system in which certain wrestlers can take time off with stories getting longer to play out. However, with this huge roster, it also means that certain names aren't as featured and get lost in the shuffle. In 2022, many popular and talented names have lost a lot of momentum and done little of note. For example, the likes of The Dark Order, Ruby Soho, Best Friends, House of Black, Pac, Layla Hirsch, and several others have all gone missing at times. And actually, everybody but one that he just mentioned, that was a good thing. Yeah, by the way, you left they've off, gone missing. You left off Miro. That's the big one. You want to talk about someone who was primed for a bigger move in AEW and disappeared. They may have matches here and there and a few seconds of screen time, 
but they feel like afterthoughts currently. What was his quote? The stories have longer to, was it develop or play out? Or how did he say that? Longer to play out. With stories getting longer to play out. Okay, that'd be great if the story didn't stop in the middle. How often do you read a book, but you go the first eight chapters, then you put it down for four months, then you come back and pick up where you left off and enjoy it just as much, even though you can't remember what the fuck you've read four months ago? That's the fucking problem. Because Tony didn't have a game plan for the type of talent and the style of talent. And and to fill his roster, when he started out and to put people in specific positions, he just signed up a bunch of wrestlers. Whether they would be complimentary with each other was secondary to him because, or complimentary to a particular focused style and presentation that he wanted to make. Then because he feels like he needs to rotate everybody in and out to give them enough TV time. He'll start shit with people and then you just won't see him for a long time. So the stories don't have longer to play out. The stories have more time for you to forget what the fucking story was again until you're not going to get any type of mass audience watching something that they have to take notes on and read the internet for and do research for in their regular lives because they don't have time. If you're not telling them in your two hours, assume they're not going to fucking know. Because the only people that care enough about this lackluster, phony-looking horseshit that everybody calls pro wrestling these days to fucking get on the internet, take notes, remember minute details, or either people like us that make money off of doing it, or people that have no fucking life. And that gets us down to about the fucking pool of available AEW fans right now. Because I guarantee you, not even the Sorry, insignificant 2 million people that are watching the WWE these days. I guarantee you half of them ain't going to do research at length on the internet and or seek out video of the new arrivals in the WWE's previous matches so that they'll be all prepared for what they did in fucking Japan. Number seven. Number seven. Lights out moments. Fucking hell. Just stop there. Yes, stop it. Now, pay your light bill. They do abuse it a lot. They just did it with Satnam Singh's debut, and the House of Black have the ability, it seems, to turn out the lights, and Darby's turned out the lights, and too many people. Sting turns out the lights. (sighs) All right, well, let's go to number six. Not improving the women's division. Once again, this is mistakes AEW has made this year. Upon AEW's move to TBS, and also when crowning a mid-card women's champion, it could have been a fresh start when it comes to giving the women's division more time. However, Good Lord, he wants to give that women's division more time? However, nothing has really changed. There have been a few more feuds here and there, but they get 30 seconds worth of build on Dynamite, with the storylines having very little substance. This is perhaps AEW's biggest issue, and things need to start changing. I got news for you. AEW has a lot of issues much bigger than anything to do with the girls' matches. 
They got major systemic structural fucking issues and have much more important things to do than the girls' matches. But I will agree with the author here that they could have done something, but that was a long time ago because what they did was they just decided they were going to have a women's division without having almost any good women. And they had to rely on Twinkle Toes' fucking Japanese mud show girls and the, you know, the imitation Freddie Mercury's and a lot of indie girls that you'd never seen or heard of before that weren't ready for television. And they dropped the ball with Nyla Rose, as we said, and that's way, way too late. She needs to go away for a few years, come back, and people forgot and start fresh. Britt Baker has been until, and where's Serena Deeb? Serena's injured, isn't she? No, Are, she has a, nope. this week on Dynamite, a Philadelphia street fight with Hikaru Shida. Oh, good fucking God. All right. And then they do shit like that. Because they're in Philadelphia, have a Philadelphia street fight with these two girls just because they're in Philadelphia and also having girls' garbage matches and girls' blood match, whatever the fuck. <laughs> they didn't have any talented girls to start their division. And then when they got a few talented ones, they've garbaged it up like the, the guys so that it's no different. It's just not as good because they're girls instead of guys. And let's face it, I'm sorry. I hate hurting anybody's feelings. That's just the way it is. So. There you go. Yeah, they botched that too. Number five, some never-ending feuds. AEW does long-term storytelling quite well. What? What? Wait, what? All right, go ahead. But on occasion, some rivalries continue without a lot of development. For example, Andrade El Idolo... Matt Hardy, Darby Allen, and Sting have been intertwined for several months now. And though Hardy was kicked out of the family office, <laughs> such, a, such a funny sentence, there have been no other real developments. Jurassic Express have also been feuding with the Elite in several different forms, dating all the way back to before All Out 2021. The matches are never bad, but there are enough teams on the roster to freshen up feuds for both sides. Unless you only want to work with your friends. Yeah, and again, long-term storytelling. That is, I don't know what's funnier, that the fans of AEW think that that's what they're doing, or that the people running AEW think that's what they're doing. This long-term storytelling thing. It's a goddamn mess. From week to week, it's an incoherent mess. And it, after six months or a year, they end up where you knew they were going to go anyway because that's what Tony's little EVPs wanted to do. And they get there. That's not long-term storytelling. Long-term storytelling would be if the shit made sense from week to week, month to month, and year to year, and then you did something. It, Dusty Rhodes telling Ole Anderson, it will never be over. You know what? That's because that was long-term storytelling because they goddamn kept people interested in their rivalry and or actions for several years back and forth, even when Ole switched babyface and insinuated himself into Dusty's presence and good graces, etc. over a period of a year and a half before he'd finally speak to him, blah, blah, blah. That's long-term storytelling because everything they did 
in between the start and the finish did make actual sense instead of just being nonsense that didn't apply to the result that they were trying to get to begin with. And then they got there anyway. You see what I'm saying? No, you don't, because it don't make any sense. Because we're talking about something doesn't make any sense. Speaking of doesn't make any sense, number four on the list, the interim TNT champion. Cody Rhodes <laughs> began the year as TNT champion, but was forced to take some time off due to COVID. In the meantime... Two weeks! In the was it, ten days? Well, in the meantime, AEW crowned an interim TNT champion, even though Rhodes was absent for just two weeks. There we go. This led to an illogical period of having two TNT champions, and it made no sense at all. AEW didn't need to do this, and it sets a potentially bad precedent for what could come in the future if a champion has to spend a week or two off TV. AEW needs... Well, no, that, then that's one thing now. It doesn't matter what precedent they're setting because they'll just ignore the precedent if it doesn't fit what they want to do then. So that's no problem there. They'll just ignore it. Because well, me... nothing makes sense from... There is no set parameters and standards for how to treat any situation in AEW. They just make it up as they go along. Well, let me finish this paragraph here, and this is uh, verbatim. AEW need to not do this again. <laughs> Let's see, I'll go to number three. Number three on the list of AEW's mistakes this year, a lot of blood. Blood can often help a match reach the next level. For example, had Steve Austin not bled in his match with Bret Hart, his moment won't have been as legendary. This must be someone with English as a second language. More recently, Wheeler Yuta's use of blood in his match with John Moxley <laughs> helped That's him the only time that Wheeler Yuta will be grouped in the same mention with Stone Cold Steve Austin. Helped him become a star in one night. However, many of AEW's matches this year have already used a lot of blood, and at times, it can feel unnecessary, especially when it is seen so often. It is only April... And several big matches have incorporated blading. If it doesn't slow down, the impact of blood will lessen over time. I am curious what you think about this in terms of modern wrestling. Could there be too much blood? Yes. Because here's, see, here's the thing again. There was tons of blood in the territories, but only when you paid to see it. How many times was there blood on television? Only in an angle that set up a match that people wanted to pay to see. And because you, as a wrestling fan in Raleigh, North Carolina, went to the matches every Wednesday night, and uh, in one match on each card, maybe they'd skip a week sometimes, but somebody out of six or seven matches, somebody would bleed that night. And then maybe next week you might not have any. Next week, maybe you'd have two guys. It just depends, whatever. But that wasn't overdone in the overall scheme of things. Because you're watching an hour of wrestling every week on television. You're seeing a two-hour show every Wednesday night. It's not a lot. But when the only thing you're watching is the television show, because there is no ability to go to live wrestling anymore, because people... Lose fucking money trying to promote live wrestling because we've killed the business. So 
that means that you're just seeing the TV and you're seeing blood constantly and it's not even shit you have to pay to see. It's not even on a pay-per-view. And it, people are smarter than ever. Most of the guys are worse at getting juice than ever. So occasionally, it'll still have the desired effect, uh, like in Punk and MJF. But most of the time, it's just more of this garbage match, death match, gimmick match, furniture match, horse shit. And they're lolling around in barbed wire and rolling around in fucking broken furniture. Uh, so, yeah, the individual guys, the individual wrestlers in the territory days, wherever you were working, you got juice 20 times more per, well, that's, that's not even correct. What do you think? Does it does anything but a garbage deathmatch wrestler now, does anybody bleed more than a couple of times a year anymore? Any individual? Well, I mean, CM Punk has a few times now. Punk has a few. But the uh, point Britt is, Baker has a few times. Okay, I go, oh, Jesus Christ, one of the girls, too. I guarantee you, uh, Bobby Eaton probably got juice when we were featured on top against Dusty, the Road Wars, Rock and Roll Express, 1986. He probably bled 60 or 75 times. Probably. That's more than any single wrestler will do today in the same year, but... How many wrestlers have that many matches in the same year anymore? Well, I mean, yeah, we had a 350, so counting TV matches and double shots and everything as we've gone over that, 300 and something. But, um, but the thing is, the fans, none of the same fans saw him bleed more than three or four times. Probably in Philadelphia, I bet you he bled. If we were there 12 times that year, he probably bled on four or five of them. But it, that's so that's that the individual guys that were main event guys were doing it more, but people weren't seeing it as often. And now, between the ridiculousness of the garbage death matches, which have killed so much about the entire business, anytime you see something like that, it hurts professional wrestling just visually because then you say okay not only are they bleeding ridiculous amounts but they're obviously helping each other do it it's a performance it's a display of freak showishness and they're cooperating and this is garbage and and that's the picture you get of it instead of two guys in a fight and somebody gets fucking busted with a chair or run into a post or punched in the face or whatever, always shit and your emotions are up because this is a fight and the stakes have been raised instead of just, ah, oh, it's more of that shit that those garbage guys do. So yeah, the blood is overdone on their television because it's, a, it's allowed too often and it's people doing it that are allowed to do it that, it ain't going to matter if they bleed or are set on fire in some cases. It ain't going to help anything. Save it for the world title match. Save it for punk. Save it for top talent. And people that can do it well instead of, you know, obviously. That's my opinion. Number two on this list, once again, mistakes AEW has already made in 2022. Letting Cody Rhodes leave. Whilst it is true that the company should not have paid more than they saw fit to keep hold of Cody Rhodes, and if both parties were not happy, 
then the relationship should have ended. But in the long term, letting Rhodes leave could be detrimental. Rhodes has been booked like a complete star in WWE thus far, and with his presentation being so strong, it could lead to more wrestlers leaving AEW to join WWE. When looking at reactions and merch sales, AEW have let WWE have a vital asset in Rhodes. Well, just from the perception, and I mean, we've talked about Cody at length, and it's currently on the omnibus, folks, but Tony Khan had, and again, this is why Tony Khan's a wonderful friend and a rotten businessman. He's just a wonderful friend to have, but he had an option on Cody. He could have kept him for another year and paid him the money that he's been being paid, but instead they tried to negotiate a new deal and couldn't. And Tony said, well, if he doesn't want to be here, I don't want him here. Well, in this situation, I wouldn't have been concerned about what Cody Rhodes wanted. This isn't like one of those poor underneath guys that they won't use in the WWE, but they won't let him go either so they can go do something somewhere. This is a guy that was one of the founding fathers. He was one of Tony's little Mount Rushmore there. Him and Twinkle Toes and the Hardly Boys on Mount Rushmore. They ought to be out in the desert somewhere in South Dakota, but nevertheless. An executive vice president of the company, a guy he's pushed as a star, and they can't get together? If I'd have been Tony, I'd have said, well, here's the thing, Cody. Since this actually was y'all's idea to begin with, and you got me in on it, and I've spent millions of dollars, and I don't want the public perception to be that you just up and left for a bigger company. I don't want egg on my face. I don't want to be embarrassed. So I'm going to exercise your other option. But now here's the deal. You don't need to wrestle for me. I will pay you to stay home. If you're not happy and you don't want to wrestle on this program anymore, then I'll pay you to stay home. But by the time that Vince gets a hold of you, he will not be getting one of my big stars and one of my featured players and one of my executive vice presidents. He's going to be getting Cody Rhodes that I've paid for the last year to do a couple of key jobs and otherwise sit at home and take a shot of brandy. If Tony, if you think Vince McMahon, which one would Vince McMahon have done if the situation was reversed? Would Vince McMahon have done that? Or would Vince McMahon have done what Tony did and said, oh, if you don't want to be here, go ahead anyway, no worries. We'll get over it, everything's fine. Which one would Vince have done? Vince would have done whatever could have hurt his competitor. That's exactly why Vince is still in the business after 40-something years, and Tony Khan looks like he's on the verge of a nervous breakdown. Because Tony's a great friend, and Vince is a businessman. Hey, let me ask you something, because I just thought of it, and I had not thought of it up until now, but WWE, when a guy gets hurt, I think Rey Mysterio, it's happened to several times, they extend the contract. It's they do. Like, it's not like I, They have the right to. They don't always. They have the right to. Does Tony Khan have the right to? Because your feelings out of the equation. Kenny Omega's been a top guy in that company since the beginning. He was their world champion. He's been out now for months, healing up and getting surgeries. He's yeah. going to be out a little bit longer. If you're Tony Khan, seeing what happened with Cody, do you say you want to extend that contract? Yeah. <laughs> See, here's the thing. It's not like that Kenny Omega 
did, did all this damage on Tony Khan's fucking watch and payroll. He's been doing stupid shit over in Japan for years, taking all those meaningless bumps and all that fucking bullshit that he's torn his body up with, trying to have those classic pieces of art that look like a ballet dancer pretending to be a professional wrestler instead of an actual fight. And then after he works for Tony for two years, suddenly he decides to get all this work done. The show's much better without him, so I'm not complaining. But again, if I was Tony Khan, what is he paying Twinkle Toes? And how long has Twinkle Toes been out? Again, I when Vince, the WWE does it, they use it as a punitive measure in a lot of cases. When a guy has been hurt, and especially when he got hurt, the specific injury can be traced to their ring. And yes, they pay for the surgery, they pay for the medical, they pay for whatever, and they give the guy time to get back, but then they freeze the contract and you still have that many more months that you were out left on the end of it. That's been used most often as a punitive measure against people that want to leave and didn't want to be fucking injured, and they didn't pick that time to take off and have the elective surgery for the problems that have been nagging them. They were not ambulatory at the time and couldn't fucking go. So, with, again, one of the main event guys that's making more money than almost anybody in the company, and he's been off for months and there's no sign of him coming back, it helps the program, I'm not saying that, but if I was Tony... I'd want to get a little bit better return on my investment, and I would say, hey, I'm not going to pay you your full salary for the past however many months for you to come back for three months, use you as a fucking top guy, and then your contract's up, and you're going to jack me for more money. When you come back from your goddamn injury, we're going to start a brand new contract that we both agree on for the money and everything else that we want to do, and I'll start you from there. Or if you don't want to sign a new contract, you're going to come back with four months left on a three-year deal or whatever. Maybe you just won't come back. Are they not, are they not doing fine without him? The shows have been better. I'll be honest. I'd rather have him on those shows than Adam Cole. There's a lot of guys on that show. I'd rather have a Kenny Omega match oh, or now, segment. Well, if then. we're talking about individual guys to trade out, I'll go yeah. with you on that. But the overall shows have been no worse without him, in some cases, better. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. Again, he kind of got phased out right around the time of the rise of Punk and those Punk MJF segments, which saved the show for months. And then Danielson came along and showed what a, a top guy needs to be, a top heel needs to be, but they didn't capitalize on that. That was such a brief moment. I forgot all about Danielson's. <laughs> yeah. Wonderful but run on top. Danielson was better for six weeks than Twinkle Toes and Don Fallis were at, as a poor man's Bobby Heenan and Nick Bockwinkle for two fucking years. Well, let's finish up this list. I agree with you. Number one, the biggest mistake AEW has already made in 2022, according to the Sportster. Wait a minute. Hold on. One second. One second. I'm trying to. I didn't know if it was going to be that or the farts. Battle of the Belts. It'll probably be. Well, there we go. Yeah. But number one is Battle of the Belts. (laughs) AEW's new show, Battle of the Belts, promised a show full of title matches, with it looking to hopefully feel like a mini pay-per-view event. The first event saw a predictable women's title match, 
a thrown together TNT title match, and a match for the FTW title, which felt cheap as it isn't an official championship. AEW had a chance to rectify this poor show with the second edition, but it featured yet another predictable women's title match, yet another rematch between Scorpio Sky and Sammy Guevara, and a Ring of Honor world title match, which wasn't hyped up or built to. If AEW wants to make this show must-see, then they should feature the world title at the next show. Well, we just did a long dissertation on what they could have done with the Battle of the Belts versus what they're doing with it. What clip is that on the official Jim Cornette YouTube channel? Do you remember offhand, Mr. Last? I think it's Jim Cornette Reviews Battle of the Belts. That might be it. That would give you a clue right there. (laughs) And again, you know, anything, cooking recipes. Um, you know, uh, viewer call-ins, let's do WWE live wire. Anything would be better than battle of the belts. Cause that's been the, it's, it's a show that the network gave them to as a, a consolation prize for moving their network with a signed contract. That's, you know, uh, so they, okay, we got to give you something so that the network doesn't care about it. It was a, a consolation prize. And You would think that the promotion cares about it, but they haven't because they've made it so lackluster. And there's no reason to make it look like a shorter version of your regular television program. And it looks just like the other shows. And if you remember with WCW or Crockett Promotions, TV aired on the weekends. The first few clashes aired opposite WrestleMania, but then it was a midweek thing. This is the opposite. Dynamite's the midweek live show. The Battle of the Belts special is the one buried on a weekend. Yes, the, the well, the Battle of the Belts syndicated specials that Joe Coff did from Florida were syndicated to different television stations, and they aired in, uh, you know, different day parts and days. But the Clash of Champions, as you mentioned, after the cable systems ran ran it off from being competition to WrestleMania because they were all losing money, it was a weeknight thing because all of Crockett's TV was on the the syndicated television was on Saturdays and Sundays, usually during the day. The TBS television was on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday nights. Friday night power hour at ten o'clock or after the Braves. Uh, Saturday night six oh five, Sunday night six oh five. So this was on a Tuesday or a Wednesday night. 8 to 10 p.m. primetime television with main event matches from a major arena somewhere in the country. It was like live, which was totally unheard of for wrestling back then on a national basis, except for the NBC Saturday night's main events at that point, blah, blah, blah. Even those were taped after a while. Actually, as a matter of fact, you are correct, sir. Uh, so it was a live sports special in prime time on a weeknight from a big arena and everybody had their game face on clash of champions and the rand the ratings were better for that show than the regular weekly programs because people saw it as something special that's why you had you know what the bad clashes did three or four million viewers the bad ones Sting and Flair at the first one, what did they, did they close out at over 8 million or 9 million people? I don't remember the exact number, but. Or was it, it was, or was it 7.8 million, something like that. Point is, 
about four times what's watching SmackDown and about eight times what's watching AEW right now. And because those seemed like big shows. Well, now they, how are they going to put a big show on TV when they drop the cow on everything they do because they have no restraint? The regular weekly show, you've got street fights, blood, mayhem, furniture, angles, you know, traffic accidents. Because they can't get people interested in just their personalities. Most of them have none. I'm done. All right. Well, let's get one more question here before we get a song or two, Jim. This one was sent to CourtneyDriveThru at gmail.com from Ryan in Tazewell, Tennessee. Tazewell. I uh, knew it was one of the two. T-A-Z-E-W-E-L-L. Tazewell, Tennessee. That is the first place I ever saw a Southeastern Championship Wrestling Spot Show. That's where we went the night of the WFIA convention in Knoxville in 1978. So where is it outside of Knoxville? It's about 60 miles up north, north-ish. All right, well, here's his question. Hello, Brian. Jim is implied. In my opinion, hey, it seems that Jade Cargill is the best overall champion in AEW. I would like your opinion on ranking the current champions in AEW, not Ring of Honor. And when are you going to do the AEW roster and give your opinions on it? If I could, it keeps changing <laughs> by the time that we can talk about it. We need to do that sometime soon. We um, also need to do an updated WWE one at some point over the summer, probably. Well, yeah, because all of the WWE people that we would keep on that roster have all gone to AEW. So, um, <sighs> rating the champions. What? Are, who are they? Okay, let's see. The champion, uh, world champion Adam Page. I'm sorry. And I've, you know, I've, I've met this guy in ring of honor 10 years ago when he was just starting out. And I think I've mentioned before what great potential he had. That ought to be an omnibus. The downfall of Adam page going from this. Yeah. He's got a ton of potential. He'll be great one day to, Oh shit. He's never got any better. He don't have any public uh, personality. And now they've made him the world champion and he ain't ready for it. Uh, but he ranks as the worst major promotion world champion in history not for his work but just for his aura his personality the build to get him there and the fact that there's five or six guys at least on the roster more over than he is as individuals and he's the world champion so how far how low can we go that's how we rank that it's a failure so you'd say jade is a better champion right now than adam page yeah okay well she's undefeated She's been dominant. She looks great. They've pushed her to the moon. She's still green, but, you know, and the, the tag She's team She's acting champion. like a world champion. She's acting like a world champion. The tag team champions are the fourth or fifth best tag team in the company, right? We went down that chain of command here on the show a couple of weeks ago. Jurassic FTR Express. is obviously better. Yeah. Um... The fucking, even the Hardly boys are more over. Um, what other champions are there in this company? The T, the, now Jane, she's the TBS champion. That's right. So the TNT champion is currently, Sammy just won it back from Scorpio, didn't he? That's right. Sammy Guevara is the current TNT champion. Third title reign. <sighs> Well, I mean, you know, Sammy's a better worker than Jane, but does is he a better champion? 
I don't know at this point because it's, you know. That's the thing. Right now at this point, are the fans a little sick of Sammy Guevara? Yeah. Or not? I don't think the fans are sick of Jade at all. They actually seem to be reacting more and more to her every week. So the women's champion is Thunder Rosa, but since Jane is the the woman on the roster with the big push and the undefeated record and the constant television time, Jane Cargill as the TBS champion is more important and more over than the champion of the entire women's division, Thunder Rosa. So, yeah, the best AEW champion is Jane Cargill. All right. Well, there it is. Certification. Congratulations, Jade. 30 wins and Jim Cornette's seal of approval. There's another one. And with that, the drive-thru is closed. Let's get a couple songs here on the show. This first one, sent in by Rocky the Ramon. We have a new Rocky the Ramon submission. Let's go to this. came over to all elite I got the feeling that things are so neat I gave up a spot that was really cush now I'm wondering when I'll get a push Jerry clowns to the left of me Joe tag teams to the right here I am stuck in AEW <laughs> yes I'm stuck in AEW and I'm wondering what it is I should do It's so hard to get a spot on the card Controlling EVPs make my life hard Jerry clowns to the left of me Joke tag teams to the right Here I am stuck in AEW Well, when Tony signed me up He said you're gonna be a well-booked man And now it seems I'm begging, asking Tony Khan, I said, please, book me. Trying to make some sense of it all, but I can see it makes no sense at all. Stuck in the back of a group Now I can't even get a match on YouTube Jerry Clowns to the left of me Joe Tag Teams to the right Here I am Stuck in AEW Yes, I'm stuck in AEW Yes, I'm stuck in AEW Here I am Stuck in AEW Well, there it is, Rocky the Ramon. Oh, what a yeah. fantastic job this week. Great song. Hey, Steelers wheel, Jerry Rafferty, move aside, move on over for the Rocky the Ramon. Jim, did you ever think so many fans would be able to take classic rock songs and just add <laughs> wrestling lyrics to them? <laughs> no, I'm telling you, we have the most amazingly talented audience. They're, they're perceptive, they're talented, they're intelligent. You know, we ought to, I'm telling no wonder the advertisers are flocking to this program. We got a, a bunch of Mensa motherfuckers around here. 
Let's go to this next one. If you want to advertise to a bunch of Mensa motherfuckers, call us right here. We got them cornered. Well, let's find out if Andrew from Dublin, Ireland is a Mensa motherfucker. Here is his latest track. Let's play this now. Travis Heckle. Monroe Brothers. Hotchkiss feather bottoms working on Jim's website. Corny's back. All right. <laughs> oh my God, he's back again. Podcasting, you better listen in gonna bring the reviews and curse aloud you got a question for jimmy mel brian now does he hate finch so yeah does he trust paul Heyman? no <laughs> is he sexual <clears throat> oh my fucking god he is everything <laughs> you need to get your pro wrestling fix corny's drive thrill <laughs> yeah Experience. Yeah. Hawaiian Brian, open your podcast app tonight. Corny's back. All right. Corny. Now throw your babies in the air. <laughs> and win the pony like you just don't care. <laughs> If you want some merch, let me hear you type. Cause Jim's website is running smooth again. Does he hate Fintry so? Yeah. Wanting to fucking die. Yeah. His advice for you. What is it? An execution of ten with a difficulty of five. Corny's drive through. Podcast app tonight. Corny's back. All right. So every outlaw everywhere. Don't be afraid. Don't have no fear. He's gonna criticize, but you understand. As long as there's bad wrestling, he'll be podcasting again. Corny's drive thrill. Limited edition. Bloody variant. Open your pod. Well, there it is. Corny's back. <laughs> 
by Andrew in Dublin, Ireland. Gotta go with that one again. From Classic Rock to Pop. What do you think of that, Jim? Boy, I tell you what. They're very catchy. A catchy tune. Probably why it went to number one for the Backstreet Boys in 1999. But let's get one last song. Well, see, I, I'm not up on all this new music. Uh, this one, we'll try this out. I don't know how long this will. Oh, no, this is a Dropbox link. We won't be playing this. Jim, this is our last song. This one was sent in to cornydrivethrough at gmail.com from Johnny Mosh. Let's go to this. When he saw the young bugs flopping around Said get the dog Put Brandy in the car I don't think a netiquette is very far Vince McMahon just delivered the news Cody's got a giant tour bus and a bad neck tattoo. <laughs> Tony Khan doesn't know what to do. Oh He's got punk money and a bad neck tattoo. That's it. That's it. That's all the 58 seconds. Oh, that's Thank an American Leor. <laughs> oh. Punk money and a bad neck tattoo. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, with that, the drive-thru is closed. Oh, God damn. All right. I got to turn this thing up. The uh, drive-thru returns next week for more of this, wherever you find your favorite podcast. And of course, the Jim Cornette experience debuts this weekend. Once again, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Get access to the archives. Patreon.com slash Cornette. For $5 a month, you get access to the archive of the drive-thru and the experience going back to 2013. Patreon.com slash Cornette. Don't forget about the official Jim Cornette YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search for Jim Cornette. It'll pop right up. Full episodes, clips of episodes, omnibus collections all with the official Travis Heckle artwork. If you enjoy this show, spread the word. Share these clips. The official Jim Cornette YouTube channel. Of course, you can follow Jim on Twitter at TheJimCornette. You can follow me on Twitter at GreatBrianLast. You can hear me on the 605 Super Podcast at 605pod.com or available wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Of course, Cornette's Collectibles at JimCornette.com. What's happening over there today, Jim? Well, nothing, because I'm sitting here talking to you, but as soon as I get finished, I'm going back to sign more action figures. And they are flying off the shelves and out, thanks to the feather bottoms. We've probably got only about another 1,700 out of 2,500 that we need to get out. It's, it's, but it's going. It's going very well. JimCornette.com. Bloody variants sold out. Still a few commentator play sets available at jimcornett.com. Of course, the drive-thru is brought to you by the law office of Stephen P. New, 888-692-8084. Get even with Stephen at newlawoffice.com. 
But until next week here on The Drive-Thru, and this weekend on The Experience, for Jim Cornette, I'm the great Brian Last. Tally-ho! Well, it's Jim Cornette's Drive-Thru. Yes, it's Jim Cornette's Drive-Thru. Please shut up and listen while Corny is shooting. Yes, while Corny is shooting on Big Fucking Putin and those outlaw macho fucks. Joey, Ryan, the Young Bucks, the Rednecks and Dumb Fucks, and them Dork Order Bum Fucks. And then there's Jelly Janella, and Santino Marella, the Boogeyman, the Boogeyman, the Boogeyman. Corny's drive-thru, Corny's drive-thru, Corny's drive-thru. Well, it's all elite wrestling. Tony Khan is investing his billions of dollars in some dumb cosplay wrestlers. Yeah, they think they are wrestlers in video games just like Kenny Omega. To the pro wrestling for which he stands. No blow up dolls, kick spots, or dance routines with blood, sellouts, and shoot angles for all. And have you heard about Riho? She weighs 45 kilos and she's their champion. She's a Japanese schoolgirl. All the Japanese schoolgirls like Kenny Omega love to play with his Sega. Yeah, they play with his Sega. You need to sue the guy for you, Steven Pierre. Everybody, Tony's drive-thru. Tony's drive-thru. Tony's drive-thru. Tony's drive-thru. And now, here are your hosts, Jim Cornette and the great Brian Lass.